If it was never new and it never gets old, that's another episode of Accept the Mystery. And today, myself, Jackie, and Christian Hand discuss the Cohen's wintry folk ballad, Inside Lewin Davis. Hey, no, JFIO no. presents. Oh, okay, there we go. What? Are you kidding? We got us some family here. This ain't no Puna. Okay, I'm not going to sit here and debate. I'll show you the life of a mind. You will find a fortune. Good would not be the fortune you seek. I suppose you think you've raised hell. When I've raised hell, you'll know it. Something is very wrong. I don't want Santana Abraxas. I've just been in a terrible auto accident. What's the most you ever lost in the coin toss? Sometimes knowledge is Accept the mystery. A Coen Brothers podcast. How dare you talk over my intro? <laughs> I, I was going to say, I can't you, believe you don't have an intro. And then, I, you, and then you did. You were, say, like you, and you were saying, in. I can't believe you don't have an intro yeah. as I was playing the intro. You were introing your intro, which Give is. Give me a little credit. It's so meta. I don't even know what to do with myself. <laughs> it's called a cold open. I, I, I'm a fan. Get used to it. Well you're played. As, as, a, as a future podcaster, as yeah, a, as a yeah. budding podcaster, let me show you a thing or two. <laughs> you're right. I'm a budding podcaster. I stand corrected. Teach me a great guru. <laughs> Look, this is a, this is Accept the Mystery. It's the Coen Brothers podcast where we talk about every single Coen Brothers movie in absurd, ridiculous, excruciating, insane, microscopic levels of detail. My name is Josh Richmond. It's a it's a Sunday morning. It's a, Super Bowl Sunday morning. It is Super Bowl Sunday oh, yeah. morning. Yeah. It's uh the morning after my birthday party. It's uh so we just uh, we just cleared off this table. It was full of snacks and cupcakes, and now it is full of podcasting equipment and also a cupcake. Yeah, that's thanks, my thanks to Jackie. Uh-huh. Uh huh. My co-host Jackie, like told say, by the way. Great, by the way, great cupcakes. <laughs> yeah, thank Hello. you. Oh, you who brought the cupcakes in the first place? Thank oh, you very well, yeah. much. Yeah. Happy birthday. Thank you. It's no longer my birthday now. I'm just <laughs> 29 in a day, which is boring. Oh, well, I am. Yeah. Yeah. Cry me a fucking river, Ryan. <laughs> 29. Boy, that looks terrible. Uh, but uh, yeah. Eat shit. But it's it, you know. So this is our our Sunday morning hangover broadcast, which is appropriate for kind of a hangover. Well, I'm not really hungover either. But it's still it's it's Sunday morning and it's slightly low energy, which is appropriate for a slightly low energy kind of movie. It's a changer for the Coen Brothers. Agree. Um, But a good one. But we'll get to that first. We got to talk to our guest. Hi. He is a radio professional uh, and a musician. (laughs) Um, yeah. He when I Google his name, all the results are either about uh, stigmata, yep. go- <laughs> Christian hands, Christian hands, yeah, or, yeah, s- or, or something called a, a, a taint stick. Can you fill me in on this? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just go with the stigmata. If I were you. It's yeah. a much, it's a much cleaner reference. Uh, yeah, Christian, Christian James Head. Welcome to Accept the Mystery. Hi, thank you. I'm so glad that I got invited. Yeah, I'm. Uh, you you were at the party last night as well. I was. Right. Yeah, no, that was a good time. I got very very high. Let's get into our very first segment. Even before we talk about the movie itself, we got to get to know our guest a little bit better using questions loosely inspired by the movie of the week. It's a segment called Inside Christian Hand. All together now. Last time, this is going to make any sense. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two. Oh, no. Now I know what it is. Now you know what it is. Mm-hmm. Christian, there's a long, strange road trip involving Johnny Five and a very gross John Goodman that runs through the center of this movie. Yes, there is. Um, Do you have any particularly bad road trip stories? Yeah. I mean, if you've been um, in a a band that's been on the road at all, you would would have horrible road trip stories. I would think probably the the worst... the worst road trip story was was when I was in my industrial band in New York in uh, the nineties. 19- you were in an industrial band. I was. It was in a hardcore industrial Sweet. band. We were like the 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 there was a like the the 
the American industrial capital was Chicago, of course, with Wax Tracks Records and those guys. So mm-hmm. we were we were sort of like the rising stars right around when Nine Inch Nails was popping up and Nitzareb and and all those bands were sort of like making a name for themselves. So we were sort of were you more were you more Nine Inch Nails or Nitzareb? Or we were more Nitzareb, more but we were like sweet. Nitzareb met Ministry, like early Ministry, like not nice. new wave Ministry, nice. hardcore, you know, uh, sort of a little Twitch Ministry, but further into the. Um, Man, I, I love industrial music. I want that stuff to make a comeback. It was oh, awesome. Oh, so much electronic music now just feels like warm and organic and sweet, and I need some distortion. No, we were angry. Yeah. We I were sent it anger. to you. However you say his name, Jeffesselstein. Jeffesselstein. I really like it. Yeah. yeah, you turned me on to Jeffesselstein. I'm totally into it. That, guy, that guy's sweet. It's good industrial It is. It techno. is good industrial good. techno. I agree. Yeah, we were, uh, you know, it, it, was, uh, it was interesting to be doing it in 1990 because we were, everybody else was doing you know grunge like at that point nirvana had sort of come in and machine gunned everybody so we were really really alternative but nonetheless so we did a tour and we borrowed a friend of ours van uh this band called chem lab uh who were also on the ascension uh, a different sort of wing of industrial than we were and we were much prettier they um we were like the backstreet boys of industrial so we borrowed their van and uh two of the guys in our band had worked out that if you ate six lemons a day six oranges a day your your farts would be so unbelievably toxic that you could you could kill people. So on our rider every night was six oranges for these two dickheads, and the rest of us in the band like had to just deal with the fact Why? that these douchebags were going to eat these oranges. And then and when we handed it back, Chemlab was so disgusted at what they got that they you know this was like pre email so I think they just called us and yelled at us because we had destroyed their their van it was oh. so noxious oh. so just imagine that if you will like and then they, so the farts like stuck to the sides of the yeah, car yeah because oh the worst God. part was like it was <laughs> the winter so we couldn't have the windows down and then they would just crank the heat and it would just bake it into the into the van so if you've never been in a van and we had tra- a traveling Dutch oven yeah and my friend <laughs> Vicky Karen who is now a, a, a head, like a very big swinging dick in the legal department at WME she she was managing us at the time so there was like one <laughs> poor girl in the van with like seven awful human beings like 20 year old men who had done something as absurd as to have oranges put on the rider just to make their gaseous outbursts oh, more Jesus. noxious that is the worst okay. road trip for a band That's I think terrib- you could have. You've got to you've got to have respect for your fellow travelers. Yeah, or not. Not if you're in a not if you're in a hardcore industrial band in 1990 because <laughs> oh it's God. kind of like fuck everybody. Wait, really. I guess you let you let uh, let your fart based anger propel your yeah. music. Yeah, we were angry. It was like you know, <laughs> Slipknot cut themselves before they go on. We just had to deal with, with that. Do you have any road trip stories, Jackie? I don't think I've. I don't have. Hmm, you never been. Like you never trip. been road tripping. Not like that. I don't think I have. On the I road. Mean, it's crazy no. that you windows would... windows down air in your face so i mean great. i've been in a car before okay it's a big step it's a big step yeah it's no, weird that I... there's no like there's no good improv troop road stories yeah you know? i just <laughs> improv troops tend to stay in one place yeah that's what i'm saying like you guys don't do a tour and have a van you know you're missing yeah. out you're missing out on a lot of fun yeah no i don't know um... i mean i'm sure i've been on long car rides Okay. Which has happened, but it's not like I've like been on like a road trip that like the purpose of the trip is you know traipsing around in the car. I, don't I know. mean, sometimes it's just you want to get from one place to another, but you don't want to worry about paying for an airplane. Have you just never been yeah. in that situation? I mean, what's the furthest? Clearly not. I can fly anywhere I want. No. Um, no. Us. What's the no, furthest? You, what's the furthest you've road tripped here to Formosa? 
I've definitely been up to San Francisco. I feel like that's the furthest okay. drive. But it's like, I, day, it's like a day trip. I mean, that's another. That's a rookie road trip. It's cute. I know. That's, that's a cute that's, road trip. That's you know? why I said I don't have a road trip <laughs> yeah, no, it's, story. No, it's I wasn't really even great. pretending. Was it like three gas station stops on that drive? Probably just one and like a pit stop in Bakersfield for in and out you know? I mean, it was just fun. Yeah. But it was like literally kids on a bus and like right. everyone's like crushing on each other and like, you know, I mean... Oh yeah, when you got I mean when you got a whole bus full of people, there's pl- you know, you can move from place to place and you know there's stories and there's like little like you know, rivalries going on. There's yeah. finger banging in the back. Oh yeah. I guess so. Like, <laughs> you know. I, guess so. I heard I rumor mean, up front about that <laughs> yeah. going on back there with the dangerous kids. Like I didn't go back there yeah. myself. No, I, I never saw the finger banging, but I heard about it. Because that because the, co- the guy two seats behind though? me totally heard it happening. It was tell. I don't even think so though. I think we were all too young. I mean, I've at this point, I think I've I've seen just about every state in the union on tour, which is always nice because you're yeah, in a bus and you don't you don't have to you know actually drive or anything, which is the best way to see the United States of America. But like some of those halls were, you know, like eighteen hours, which is just brutal. Yeah, you know, like yeah, you're, intense. It, it's intense. I mean, it's less intense because you're in a traveling hotel. But it's still, you know, like after I always tell people, like after the first week of being in a tour bus, you start to really fucking resent the tour bus. And after once you get to like the month point, mm-hmm. you do not want to get back on the fucking bus. So, yeah, you know, you're cute little uh, San Francisco jaunts. So, Thank you. you know, I mean, keep it safe. You know, don't go too far. I mean, if you can I'm, do my profession doesn't require me to road trip. If yours didn't, maybe you wouldn't road trip as much either. Well, it's just not what you're hasn't gonna, been part of my life. We're gonna we're gonna take part wolf on the road. Yeah, we're gonna start hitting it. up uh, improv clubs across America. <laughs> yeah, we're I still mean, gonna oh, take great. off work. Like the improv world, you don't do you don't do that. You don't do. The, I mean, improv UCB tours? actually UCB actually does have a traveling road yeah, show, but it's pretty company. but it's pretty unusual. Yeah, usually you just stick to one place, mm. one scene. Well, that's why. So towards the end of this movie, Lewin Davis uh, gets kicked out of a club for screaming about, you know, where's your corn cob pike and your gingham panties. Yeah. Um, have you ever been kicked out of a bar or club for making a scene? Yeah, uh, I didn't make the scene, but I was involved. Uh, my ex-girlfriend made a scene and uh, I, I had to I had to ask for her to be removed, which then uh, I was removed as well at that point. What kind of right. scene? I had broken up with her to get back together with um, uh, my the, the love of my life and um, who I'm no longer together with. Uh, who's I'm know, sorry. Occupies that still probably still, still, still the love of your life. Uh, no, I don't think she's. I mean, she's the love of my life in like a sort of legendary the one that the one that the one that got away. You yeah, the one that every guy's got a one that got away. Like this is the <laughs> one that shattered me into a million pieces, kind of person. Um, so I'd been dating somebody and then she like I broke up with her to get back together with that girl. And then I took that girl to my friend's birthday party that the other girl was at at a bar. Oh, come on. And she pr- I didn't realize that it was going to go pear shaped so drastically. <laughs> and it ended up with like this girl like screaming in my face and having been a, a bouncer, I was like, I cannot put my hands on this girl because it's going to be assault. And she was a, she was a s- semi well known actress at that point. So I just simply 
lifted my hands over my head and just started yelling, get this girl away from me, get this girl Whoa. away from me, get this girl okay. away from me. And then the bouncers came over and removed both of us uh, and, oh, and put us out on the street. I mean, and, I mean, I guess it's kind of you making a scene, but it's you making a scene in order to avoid a bigger scene. A much happening. bigger scene. Because yeah. she was like hitting me and like, you motherfucker. Yeah. Like it was oh, a full God. on, fully blown, <laughs> like what the fuck. And my the, the girl who I'd gone there with was like standing, you know, a good 10 feet away just looking like what like, the is like, going oh, on right why? now like me with my hands off my head just repeating get her away from me get her away from me get her away from me and this girl like hitting me and like crying and like yeah oh. and i was just like wow this is happening oh my god and then because she was a, a sort of an actress that everyone kind of knew uh, or knew of there was a lot of you know it's LA so there was a lot of like people turning and being like oh my god right. that's the well, girl from oh. yeah you know and it was like a whole I gotta tell my contact at page six <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean thank god like TMZ didn't exist back then because it would have been a complete you know f- yeah. shambles of bullshit I wonder do, do girls like it when they see like other girls you've been with like attacking you and being like you motherfucker no we- <laughs> I mean I think there might have been a little bit to answer a question about I, right? mythical girls it, we don't like, like that it's like well Oh, there must have really been something there at some point. You know? uh, I think there was a... Oh, it depends on the girl, I guess. Yeah, I think there might have been like a slight sort of like, oh, wow, yeah. she's kind of missing that D a, that much. This guy's, huh? a, this guy's a heartbreaker. Right? Yeah, it's my guy right there. <laughs> yeah, but then you kind of realize like, that's like too much crazy, right? So you want to like stay away from It could crazy. also be, yeah, just drama follows this person. Well, it, 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 come on, people. She's an actress. I mean, everybody... That's, it, that's, you, true. You, that's the, true. You, All you have to do is like do some serious dating in Los Angeles for I would say three to five years and you will learn the don't go near actresses lesson incredibly quickly. Stand-up um, comedians, improv chicks, I'd, much better. I'm actually, I've, I was never like a theater kid, but I was always friends with the theater kids, and I was always into girls who were actresses or into of course. in some way. Oh no, they're very. It's a, it's <laughs> they, they are. It's like there's a whole thing that happens with those chicks. Yeah. They're usually attractive. They're usually crazy, fuck like banshees. But, but seems like, but seems crazy in a fun way. No, no. Initially, <laughs> initially, it is, of course. Yeah, right. it's, it's Initial, a total. Yeah, it's an aphrodisiac. Yeah. The likes of yeah. which you can. And then, <laughs> after like you know, month three, you're just like, oh no. <laughs> Maybe that's why my mom didn't want me to become an actress when I was younger, so I wouldn't turn into a crazy girl. <laughs> I don't think that that life it will encourage you to be more balanced. Yeah, you know. No, I so mean, true. no. Th- I mean, the life of an actor and just like having to deal with like you know, fr- sometimes the spotlight is on you and you're the center of attention, and sometimes it's just rejection after rejection. Yeah, will drive you insane. And then, well, yeah. on top of that, like the, the you know the awful reason. I mean, I, I when I was a DJ on the radio, I I was I did seven to midnight, and I, I had uh, some woman approach me on Melrose, this agency, like my third week of being in LA, and was like, "Do you have representation?" I was like, "This is a fucking joke." And she was like, "No, no, no, I represent this company, and we you know we're we're into people that are fringier and a little weird." So I started working for them because I was like, "I'm just going to go on auditions for shits and grins because this fucking town is absurd, mm-hmm. and I'll have things to talk about on the radio at night." So I went to all these auditions. And the things that guys go through in an audition is really like, fuck it, who gives a shit? But like girls would go into auditions and like it would literally be, I don't know, man, I mean, I think her, I think her arms are too long. And it would, like that would right. be the stuff that chicks would hear. No, if you hear that stuff all the time, you will like you go fucking crazy. Yeah, like you, you nitpick yourself. Yeah. Like your fingers are too long. Your your elbows are too low. Like you know, like mm. your eyes are too close together. Guys would just be like, man, fuck it, I don't like him. Get him out of here. But you know, like, <laughs> whoa, not you know, to, I mean, not to mention guys like a uh, poppy in this movie. You know, hey, if you want to play the gaslight. Right? You gotta, yeah. I mean, you that's the. Deal, other, you gotta deal with those guys. And there's a lot of those going yeah, around. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of really scummy dudes. But the same thing doesn't happen for men. So I think that inherently, the system in this town does fuck a girl's brain up. 
And unfortunately, the hotter she is, the more it'll fuck her up. Like a friend Mm. of mine was banging Rose McGowan for a while and I met her and hung out with her and she's awesome. It's not working upstairs the way that it should. You know what Mm. I'm saying? Like there is Mm. some, there is some misfires happening in a lot of the people that get to that level. And I think the younger it hits, the more fucked up you become. Well, yeah, well, of course, you know what happens to child stars. Yeah, I mean, if you yeah. go into yeah. that system at 18 yeah, yeah. And, and you're you're suddenly a chick who's like everybody's in love with them, blah, 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 blah. By the time you get to 28, 29, 10 Lindsay years of that, you, yeah. you've Lindsay Lohan. I mean, it's very, very sad. It's super sad, actually. What's so weird, speaking of that, I had this like, I have some old magazines, I guess, somewhere, and I just like pulled one out. And one was like 2004. It was really old. It was a GQ mm-hmm. with Lindsay Lohan because when I was like... A teenager, I thought she was like so amazing, so I clearly got this GQ. But like, there was like that, a really short window where it was where it was cool to be Lindsay Lohan. Yeah, yeah, but it was so crazy reading that though because she's like she's literally eighteen years old, yeah. gorgeous, like her red hair, like beautiful body, everything. Was like, that pre Mean Girls or right around Mean Girls? It was Girls? right after Mean yeah, Girls, right after mean and Girls. it was just like she, that's when she was like you know on yeah, her rise yeah. and like talking about being grounded and how like everyone's trying to bring her down, but she's you know not about that and she wants to have a serious career and you're just like oh my god, like ooh, yeah, ten yeah, years ago things were. Quite I remember. Different. When she was like the the thinking man's Hillary Duff, like she was the serious alternative to Hillary Duff. Hillary Duff was kind yeah. of was a little bit superficial, but she was more like a real actress. She was going for well, that. Well, she is least. a good actress. It's just she got like really screwed up. Yeah, I think yeah. that the I think the thing that killed Lindsay Lohan wasn't it was I mean the dude the parenting like I like mm-hmm. I used to be friends with Corey Feldman back in the day, and I remember having a couple of of really intense conversations with him, and you know he was talking you know Ricky Schroeder. No. From Silver Spoons. Ricky Schroeder was like a... Ma- he, he's now on CSI or some shit, but he was a massive child star. He's on this TV show called Silver Spoons. Hmm. It was fucking enormous. And uh, Corey Feldman and, and, and he were sort of friends, and he said that when um, Ricky Schroeder got his first big checks, the, f- the first thing his parents did was they bought him like three Taco Bells in the Valley that he still makes money on to this day. Wow. <clears throat> and the minute his career sort of went into decline and he sort of realized that his child star days were over, he bought a fucking massive ranch in Montana, moved out there and said goodbye to L.A., and then he's come back now and he's on CSI, obviously. Mm-hmm. But wow. that was because his parents were, were decent human beings. Corey Feldman's dad, they were living at the, the peak of his like lost boys stardom they were living in a two-bedroom apartment over a storefront in the valley and his dad had blown tens of millions in gambling oh my god like yeah. ripped off every penny that kid had earned and oh. you know it's like you look at Lindsay lohan's parents and these people are fuckheads you yeah. know like god. that she oh was god. raised by yeah. wolves literally much, you know yeah. like those people are not human beings not to mention aren't they trying to do the same thing with their sister too? of course yeah. of course they are yeah. like these people are awful people so it's i think that you know that's the other thing that happens if you come into la and you're naturally a little bit wanged and then your parents are fuckheads you know, so I think there's like it's twofold, and Lindsay Lohan was just you know like a cautionary tale waiting to happen. I mean, it's yeah. just awful. It's very sad. Sadly, yeah. I'd still really bone her though, but her face is messed up. Mm. You know, she's done. The, she's like a year older than me, and she looks awful. She looks yeah. awful. She's done lip surgery, like she's got mm-hmm. the Lisa Renna lips going on, and yeah, terrible. No, really she really sad. screwed herself up. Yeah. yeah, but she was screwed up by the system too. It's not, it's not her fault. And I think the honestly, the big mistake was she should never gone into music. Yeah, but I think that, I think a lot of people made that mistake. Yeah, I think she should have no. stayed an actress. I think that it was the yeah. music part that actually fucked her up really badly because the music part was where you were going to have no grace. There was going to be no grace in her music career. Either it happens like that, or you're Ariana Grande and you like become like a super. You become way bigger as a musician than you ever were as an actress. Yeah, but she's not respectable. I mean, that because I don't think yeah. Ariana Grande is a fucking great actress. That's the sad right. thing about Lohan is that I think that she could have actually had a really good acting career. I think I she, know. you know, she could have ended up being. You know, one of those women where you're like, oh, dude, that chick rose above her bullshit mm-hmm. to become somebody, you know, of, of weight in the acting world. Yeah. Great tits. 
<laughs> Next question. Last question before reductive? we before we end this segment. <laughs> I never got to answer if I've gotten oh, yeah. out. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, for some reason, I feel like I just assumed you hadn't, but have you? What if I was? No, what I haven't. If, Okay. I'm too well behaved. I had a feeling. That's why that's why I didn't you ask. You just like, ignored Jack, me. I, I don't think Jackie's ever been good. Yeah, I mean. Because I'm a- not one of those girls who's going to be fighting over dudes in a bar. So other right. than that. Or, all right, so let's, let's. Or even if you were upset, you wouldn't be like making a crazy scene. Yeah, you wouldn't be making a crazy scene. No, yeah. no, no. Let's change, let's change the question then from okay. um, <laughs> the, the getting thrown out. So what if, if in, in the autobiography of your life. Uh-oh. Uh-huh. <clears throat> what is what is like the holy shit I can't believe I did that? I mean, there's some stuff, but I just wouldn't say it on the podcast, so Was. Oh. Yeah. You're I'm just getting, saying I'm a little I'm, You can't yeah, give I'm accept like the mystery a scoop? No, it's not just accept the mystery. It's like this whole Jackie, this is a safe space. No, you it's just, not. <laughs> whatever you say <laughs> on the air, you you imagine it evaporates and then is never heard again, which is total bullshit. Because I know when I run uh, for governor yeah. in New York, like every time I've referenced marijuana on the on a podcast, is going to come up and it'll mm-hmm. be like he smoked weed all the yeah. time. I'm a lawyer, guys. I can't yeah. just be you know spouting all my little stories. We'll just we'll just let it be clear. I'm sure she's got. I have crazy a dark side, guys. She's got a dark side, <laughs> oh, but boy. we'll leave it. We'll leave it mysterious. <laughs> Our last question for this segment is. Uh, so they sing a song in this movie called Please Mr. Kennedy mm. about uh, please don't shoot me into outer space. It's scary. It's a tiny little capsule. If you had the opportunity to travel to space, would you do it? Absolutely. Yes. Done and done. I guess I would too. <clears throat> but you wouldn't be at least a little bit worried like I might I might just die. Oh, I'd be terrified. Yeah. I mean, that's but that's part of the thing. I think that, well, it also depends on the circumstances. I don't honestly think that I could sit in an Apollo capsule. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think that I would shit myself, and, and I would, I would, I would hit the red button that would be like, no, 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 no. I've had to rethink. I mean, takeoff seems like <clears throat> scary as shit. Yeah, I think that if it was, if it was like the Virgin Galactic thing, where it's basically just a plane that's going to go into space. That's what I was imagining. Right, I'm yeah, totally the, down with the that last, plan. The last special. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I could even probably, I could probably have done. I might have been able to do a space shuttle. Yeah. You know, like sitting in the back there and you're looking through the window and you're like, wow, this is kind of fucking heavy. But like the little tiny top of the Apollo capsule bullshit where it's like right. three of you crammed into. You right. Know, like, you're, yeah. It's like the right stuff. And you're just. Yeah. You're like in. literally yeah. in like, an, like a, a galactic smart car. There's like no fucking <laughs> yeah. way that it's me and two other dudes rubbing elbows and like yeah. sitting on 50 billion gallons. Of no, fuel. I'm imagining you're doing like a landing on the moon mission where it could go Apollo 13. and I don't think I would have. Bad. I mean, I, I'd hate to say that about myself. Like I just watched unbroken the other day and and mm-hmm. i had to sort of i had to sort of come to terms with the fact that i don't know if i could have survived it like oh. i i don't know if as a did man you hear our episode about it i did not i did no. not i mean i decided i would survive you would yeah mm-hmm. i think i would yeah i don't think i would have and that's an awful thing to say about myself i mean maybe i would maybe i'd have found the will to live at some point but i don't know if like i think that's a that's an extraordinary version of humanity and i'm totally. not sure that i'm not yeah. no we actually did debate that i decided i think i could handle the camp it's the being on the boat i couldn't handle I, after i couldn't do 47 days for sure after no. like after like eight days i would just like die i mean i don't know but if that, i could yeah. <laughs> i don't know if i could have I, I might have actually done better on the boat I think I would do better on the boat than the camp, personally. The, yeah, the 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 lack of humanity in the camp, I think, would have broken my spirit more than the loneliness or the madness of the boat. But the thing about the camp, at least in the story they tell in the movie, is like 
the, there's camaraderie among the sure. people in the camp. There's yeah. yeah, friends. Everybody's going through this situation together. I think that would give me some strength. But would you? Here's the question, though: Is that you know, like the other thing is it, it's not it's not a buffet of misery. Like this poor bastard <laughs> went through the whole right. thing. Right. You know, it's like my thing was like, yeah, I could probably have survived each installment, but back to back to back to back to back, and I think actually where I would have gone and not come back was the loneliness and the madness of being trapped in that little dark thing while the guy is getting the shit kicked out of you next door Mm -hmm. that would have you're right like the camp camaraderie like it's the auschwitz thing like you know the misery loves company like you could find strength in the people surrounding you but i'm you know like the the being in that dark fucking hole and getting pulled out every now and then just to get the shit beaten out of me for no apparent reason i'm not sure that my brain would have been able to maintain I think honestly, just because I saw the movie and I saw that somebody else could do it, makes me think like, oh, if a person can do it, it can be done. Right. But without and like having so read just the just books the that fact that we've seen like, Unbroken gives us the strength. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, at least for right. me, it yeah, does. Yeah, yeah, Thank yeah, you. Yeah. yeah. No, but it's like you know, and whatever. It's like the history of like Auschwitz and you know camps and everything. And just knowing that like people have done that makes me think like, oh, it can be done. But if I was the first one to do it, it would be hard to like draw reserves of strength from somewhere because I. Like, I wouldn't know. No, I'm with you that, uh, yeah, solitary confinement is one of my biggest fears. And just, Nightmare. Yeah, yeah, that's why I'm saying, like, being hmm. in the camp is one thing. But if I was alone and just occasionally getting the ship out of me, that's a very different situation. Yeah, and that, that part of the, the, you know, like, being in the jungle and... and I'm, yeah. Like, that shit. I, I don't take the elevator in my building on the weekends because I'm concerned about getting stuck in the elevator because <laughs> really people, yeah yeah wow i've been stuck in the elevator once it is fucking terrifying like wow. I've, I've really what bad happened? uh the the elevator stopped obviously and it was uh and i i pulled the doors open and there was I, the elevator had stopped at the top of the of the door sh- so there was Two and a half feet. At the top of it. At the top of it. Yeah. And then underneath was 12 stories of elevator shaft. And I climbed out and swung myself like Batman over the elevator shaft and jumped. Because that, to me, was easier to deal with than being stuck in the fucking elevator. And there was two people standing there being like, don't do it, don't do it, you're going to fall in the shaft. And I was like, I don't give a fuck because I'm not sitting in this elevator until these days. And then the other thing was they were worried that it was like, I was crawling out and they were like, if the elevator goes, it's going to cut you in half, dude. And I'm like, you know, like, I didn't, I I would rather have not been in the (laughs) elevator. You'd rather be cut in half I'd rather have been cut cut in half than sit in the elevator. That's how bad it is. So yeah, the solitary confinement in the darkened... Yeah. I'm not that scared of solitary confinement. Like, it's never been a pressing fear for me. You just be like, oh, I'm chilling. Just yeah. like, oh, I'll, you know, I'll just like, I'll remember fun times or I'll play games with myself. 20 questions. I mean, have you seen yeah. the video, the YouTube footage of the guy that gets stuck in the elevator for 48 hours? No. Oh, it's terrifying. So this guy, it's, I forget, it's in a big city and he basically, um, he, there's two of them that are gnarly. So he gets stuck on Friday night. He's leaving work at the end of the day on Friday <sighs> night and he stayed late. The elevator stops and nobody does anything until Monday morning. So oh, for two yeah. fucking days, Actually, I've kind of heard about this. this. You watch him pacing and shitting in the corner and pissing and like losing his fucking mind. Like nobody yeah. for two days, right? Because yeah. by because by like twenty four hours, and you're like, they're never gonna find then, me. Yeah, your they're, brain they're, is. I'm yeah. never gonna get out of this elevator. I'm gonna die. I'm right. gonna die here. I'm gonna die here. All, Why would you die there? They're gonna come back to work on Monday. Because all logic, <laughs> you, 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 right. all logic abandons you at a Maybe, certain point yeah. for sure. Yeah. And okay. then the other one that's heavy is there's a dude, it was on Reddit, there was a guy that got stuck in an elevator with a 
guy like me who's like a claustrophobic guy, but this guy was also uh. psychotic. So this guy's going batshit while the other dude's like selfing himself and being like, I can't believe I'm having to deal with this on top of everything. And they were in there for like 12 hours and the whole thing was logged on his phone. Oh, he just kept, wow. he kept Wi-Fiing it out. So it was like almost real time. And yeah. this dude who he was stuck in the elevator with oh was God. going ballistic. Dude. Oh my God. I should check those out. That's interesting. Yeah. That's wow. what we're going to do for next podcast. We're going to review Trapped Elevator videos. <laughs> <laughs> the Coen brothers have a great one. Yeah, yeah they, have a, they have It's really, uh, really formally well done. Okay, but I think if I got stuck in an elevator, I would take a nap because I'm usually tired. Okay. So I'd be like, I would sleep and I could probably sleep for a good 10 hours, knocking okay. out, you know, I have 38 <laughs> hours to go. Sure. Now let's say you wake up and let's also say that you can't get any sort of phone access. That's okay. So your phone's not working. Well, that's the other that's thing. Okay. I, that's the other thing I do is I make sure that my phone is always <laughs> fully, fully charged. charged. So if I do get stuck <laughs> in the elevator, I'm calling my sister and being like, "Hey, just talk me through this, man." Yeah. <laughs> I've been in the elevator for four and a half hours. I'm starting to go a little bit unbroken oh, I about everything. Yeah. That. It would just, I would just refresh Facebook over and forget. <laughs> <You> <laughs> <were>. <laughs> yeah. And then there's like the button in my building. It's like, call this for the fire department. And they're like, I, I know that that doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I know that's a dummy switch. Like, it's, that's, like, that's, it's, like, it's like the closed doors button in the elevator. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's just bullshit. It's, not, it's, <laughs> it's like, such, button, like literally yeah. if you pull the panel out, like there's no wires attached to it. It's just a, it's a dead man's switch. Like, what does that do? Okay, yeah. it's time. It's time to do this. Let's dive into the movie of the week in a segment called The Big Review Ski. This is our this is the last official Cohen Brothers movie I know. today, Jackie. It feels this weird. Is, I know. It's kind of it's not the end of the podcast, but it is kind of kind of the end of the podcast in some yeah, ways. Yeah, it's the end of the movie. This is uh this movie was the movie that inspired me to want to do this podcast in the first place. Oh, I Because I'd seen I'd seen this and I loved it. It was either my first or second favorite movie that came out in 2013 and mm-hmm. I just really wanted to talk about it and then they thought man I don't only really want to talk about this I want to talk about other movies and we should do a show about it. Mm-hmm. But uh I think it I think it meant a lot to me personally. Actually, I've, uh, it really uh, it really happened to hit hard for me. In what way? It has. It's this, came, this movie came out very close to the time I quit my job at Sirius, mm. mm-hmm. and a lot of the stuff about kind of the dissolution of a partnership and finding your way kind of on your own. I think definitely hit home. Would you prefer mm-hmm. that your previous partner had thrown himself off a bridge and it had been? <laughs> I'm not going to comment on that. I'm, it's more. I, How does it feel to be in the hot seat, not <laughs> wanting to talk about personal matters? Just saying. I I didn't press you. I know. Blame this guy. I know. I'm, I, didn't, I didn't press you either. Nobody pressed me. I just want to make a you point because you seem hey because everyone seemed really disappointed when I didn't want to share salacious things. So anyway, like I, I know we I know we've talked about how how I think uh, Barton Fink is the character you identify with most out of any Coen Brothers movie. Okay, I don't know if that's one hundred percent true. I, you definitely said that. No, you definitely totally said that. No, if only you had the tape you could go to. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just said I relate to parts of him, which is true. Yeah, you relate His to neuroticism. Him. I definitely relate yeah, to. Yeah, that's what. Neuroticism. He's like very neurotic. Like right. He can't write. He's like sitting there. He can't get to it. He's like, no, but it has to be art. It's like this whole big annoying thing. I understand that. Okay. Well, Lou and Davis is the Coen Brothers character I relate to most. I can mm. see that. And I, it has a lot. To, I think it has a lot to do with. Um, he's got a very strong kind of individualist streak. He's a guy who kind of likes to go it alone and basically goes 
his own way and follows his muse, even when it not wouldn't work for him commercially, or it would be better sure. for him to say like join a group and harmonize with people. Yeah. But he's uh, he's determined to uh, forge his own path, even when it leaves him, you know, confused or anxious or miserable or whatever. Well, it's but... an, it, it's it's an interesting uh, disc or not even a discussion, but it's an interesting treatise on the idea of being an in quotes, artist, capital A, small A, depending on how you want to look at it, either way is right. pretentious. But nonetheless, you know, the, it, I mean, being somebody who's now been in the music industry for, you know, 29, almost 30 years, it's terrifyingly accurate, you know? And yeah. I, I've, I, you know, I identified with it because I've been in, you know, I've been in exactly that situation where record labels have offered the keys to the kingdom if all you'll do is just put their penis in your mouth. And you're like, <laughs> my band that we, I was in in the late 90s was like the talk of the town. And we would play and like 400 people would show up to see us play and these record labels were all there. And there was this one song that we did all my life all my life up until that point, like just jokingly in every band I'd been in, I, I, this was the first one I was a lead singer in, but I'd written songs for Tori Spelling because, right. you know, like, why wouldn't you? <laughs> so uh, I'd had the this great, the great singer songwriter, Tori Spelling, great muse, my muse, my main muse. <clears throat> and um, so we wrote this song about Tori Spelling that was called Tori and it was epic, but it was terrible. It was so fucking gauche and. You know, each of the verses was built around an episode of 91210. And it was like, you know, the chorus was Tori can't act, but Tori can smile because Tori's so beautiful. I mean, it was just ridiculous. But we stopped playing it the minute that the record labels started showing up because I knew we were going to be completely fucked because it was nothing like anything else that we were doing. It was a total joke song. And every time we would play, the crowd would would end the show yelling Tory, and there would be four hundred people going Tory, 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 and then the record labels would come up to us afterwards and be like, "What's up with this Tory song they're talking about?" And we would look at them and be like, "We don't know what you're talking about. Like, we have no idea. Like, I don't know why they would yell that." Right. So we had this moment of like them looking at us and being, you know, like saying, "We know that this Tory song exists, and if you do it, your lives are going to change." And we were we had to walk away from it and. That's a difficult choice to make, but I tell you what, it's infinitely more comfortable. Than it's kind what... of it's kind of your please, Mister Kennedy. It's the song yeah. that you think is kind of kind of lewd, kind of doofy. And you well, really we knew that, that it was. Yeah. I knew that if we did that song, that was what I was going to end up singing right. at fucking state fairs for the next twenty years, and I could <laughs> not do that because to me, I know people who have had that experience, and those that moment right before you fall asleep in your really expensive bed with your you know 1700 thread count egyptian <laughs> cotton sheets is not something that you necessarily want to wrestle with i think it's easier to wrestle with knowing that you did the right thing and you're willing to take the consequences than doing the wrong thing and having to take the consequences that's 100%, just 100% no 100 i 100% agree with you and that's the that's the path i've basically followed throughout my life but i think this illustrates the consequences of taking that path. yeah there's loneliness yeah. in both of those consequences but yeah. i believe that the loneliness of of not sucking the dick has being authentic right the authentic loneliness of truly of being like i made a a choice to not do that Although authenticity is a is is a weird uh, point in this movie as well, because the That's true. the entire movie is built around the folk revival scene in New York in the sixties. Sure, uh, a whole bunch of musicians, mostly from New York, uh, singing about how they've been all around the world and they, you know, been to Arkansas <laughs> yeah. and and yeah. basically singing the, these very. 
in in many ways, it is a spiritual sequel to Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? The Coen Brothers' other yeah. music-based movie, which featured a lot of these folk songs as well, but from the people who actually like were singing them because they lived that life. Sure. And these are these are basically a bunch of big city interlopers pretending to live. Yeah, they're actors. Life. Yeah, it's yeah, a, it's but, a performance. Yes, but I think you could also relate to the message of those songs even if you haven't literally been to Arkansas you can f- have that same feeling well you can tone you experience. can you absolutely can and you can feel like yeah I've, I'm 500 miles from my home even if you are ex- in exactly the same place you started yeah. well here's the here's here's the interesting point that, that I get to with the movie and I, I'm glad I watched it a second time the dramatic denouement of the last musical act there's a there's a dichotomy there because the problem is is that do you look at the arrival of Dylan as the beginning of a new era or truly the biggest faker of the whole fucking lot of them? Right. That's right. the question because it's Zimmerman, Robert Zimmerman. Although he, he although he actually he wasn't a big city guy. He was from the Midwest. But he's not Bob Dylan. He's a Jewish dude who is has taken on the mantle of Pete Seeger. Like, Pete Seeger's the real version of Bob Dylan. So right. is Bob Dylan the ultimate faker, shyster of the whole thing, which some people still have as an opinion of him. And a lot of people at that point were like, that motherfucker is a liar. Well, they framed the arrival of Bob Dylan at the end of this movie as basically a literal gut punch to Lewin Davis. Right, but he's, is it a gut punch? He's getting the shit beaten out of him as Bob Dylan is played. As Absolutely. And essentially destroying him. But the question is, is like, is he the arrival of of legitimate folk music or is he the seventh rider of the apocalypse right and that to me is like the question that the movie brings up at the end is like is he the the ying to the the authentic yang of davis or is it that he's actually the guy who's galvanized the entire scene and is now going to recreate it in a way that it wasn't anticipated I mean, you know, Bob Dylan, yeah, basically blew up the folk scene. And there sure. were a lot of guys who were in that scene, like Joan Baez and Phil Oaks, who kind of, you know, uh, got a big wave riding in his wake. Yeah. Lewin Davis is uh, based off a guy named Dave Van Ronk. Uh, do you know who Dave Van Ronk mm, is? No. He, uh, he was a, you know, yeah, he was a folk singer in that Greenwich Village scene in the 60s. Okay. Had a kind of similar career arc to Lewin Davis, is that he was playing these, uh, these kind of sad, very, very authentic old folk songs but never found that mainstream success that Dave, that Dylan and a lot of the other guys got. Right, mm-hmm. right. And basically died mostly, you know, respected by his peers, but mostly unknown. And the Coen brothers kind of decided to make a movie based around a figure like that. Well, here's the question. Which is, which is, the, which is the greater success? Is it the greater success to be respected by your peers and known by people who you'd wish to be respected by? Or is it better to be known by everybody and respected by none? Right. That's I mean, the question. I mean, I think the former. Yeah. I think that too. But having, but, but, but success, you know, is its own yeah. reward too. It's very true. <laughs> yeah. You know, it depends what you're going into it for. Do you know who, um, the, uh, there's a guy named Tony Wilson who was the, the head of factory records in the UK, 24-hour party people. I saw 24-hour party people. Well, he, uh, he died of, of cancer a couple of years back and they've erected a statue to him and blah, blah, blah. And he said his entire life that like money wasn't important and you did it for fucking music and for different reasons. And then he said it's very interesting. The only time that money really becomes important is, is you realize how important it is when you start to get sick. Right. Huh. Right. And that yeah. was, you know, that was the moment when he was like, ah, 
if yeah. I'd just been fucking smarter back in the day. But the question or is, is or, like, or even when you you need a bed or you need a winter coat or just the had basic he been, necessities of surviving. Well, the question is, like, had he been smarter with money and all that, would he have been the iconic character that then gets a statue erected to him and becomes representative of an entire city? Which would you go with? I would still rather go with the the statue and the respect of the people that you want to be respected by. Yeah, yeah. although I think there's probably a, a middle ground too because I think you can, I think you can be authentic to your whatever you're you know promoting but and and not have to completely sell out either um i know that's so cute isn't it cute (laughs) but i think but the reason i think that though is i think like sometimes i think a lot of us who are like creative in ways we're like really stubborn to what it means to be authentic so we're like i think we can take it to the extreme so i don't say that you can keep that like very stubborn it has to be this very like specific authentic thing and if it's slightly different it's not authentic like i kind of think if you yourself a little bit more open-minded about it you can make money off of it and not feel like you're selling out but right you know maybe that's mental gymnastics and just like human condition of like convincing yourself of certain things but i don't think you have to like completely sell out i no. mean bob D- bob dylan had it all i mean bob dylan was decried as a sellout when he went electric at the time but nowadays bob dylan is there's basically no one who doesn't respect bob dylan yeah, well, that's true. I mean, he's definitely well. The the he's he's also an iconic character, and he is a um, you know, he's he's one, he's like the uber mensch of that thing, right? And but you know, it's interesting because if you look at as a musicologist, right? Would you look at Bob Dylan with in higher regard than the band? No, I mean. Yeah, if you're talking about somebody who's actually like really treating that music reverentially, sure. But Bob would, Dylan was, uh, you know, deliberately not treating that music reverentially and kind of making sure. his own thing out of it. But what I'm saying is, like, as far as an uh, as the as the effect on music, Bob Dylan has become a caricature of himself, whereas the the band is galvanized as this unbelievably special, precious moment. I would rather have been in the band than be Bob Dylan. Mm. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? It's hard to say. It's hard to say no to, to being Bob Dylan and having that kind of fame and adulation and uh, it's really mainstream easy. success. There's no way. You couldn't. It's it, really easy. <laughs> for all the fucking tea in China, I wouldn't take that guy's life. And Bob Dylan seems, I mean, to be honest, Bob Dylan always seems like he's having fun. He's just always fucking with people. Yes. I think if there's anyone who's managed to assimilate his fame into his existence, that's, yeah. a, you know, like he and Springsteen are, are two of the guys. You could look at like Billy Joel as well, I think. Yeah. Are, are guys who've like, they've taken their persona, made it them and owned it in such a way that it seems to be their own authentic life. Well, that's what point. I'm saying, though. Billy Joel doesn't it's... seem like he's having fun. Billy Joel seems pretty miserable. Really? I, I always got that from him. No, I just think that there's, I think there's a sadness to, I think there's an inherent sadness to Billy Joel that would never be satisfied. But like right. that Stern interview he did was really some fantastic fucking radio. And I think that he's, uh, I would imagine that he's, that he would look back on his whole shit and be like, damn, that was awesome. I saw him and Elton John when they did that like two pianos thing. Oh, yeah? Where they toured together. Oh, that's cool. And then they would flip as to who would headline each night. So it was like <laughs> Billy Joel, Elton John, blah, blah, blah. And the right. night that I saw it, uh, Billy Joel opened for Elton John. And so Billy Joel plays like an hour and a half. Every fucking song's a hit. And you're just like, oh, my God. Like this. He's, is, got, he's got an insane catalog. His catalog this is, is so insane, deep. Yeah. dude. And the was at the Anaheim Convention Center or whatever. And it was just like he turned the place into like a... 300 person nightclub like it was so obvious that that's where he'd come from you know and then elton john hit the stage and it was 
piffle. It was piffle. Really? Because it was just it, it it was just the show. Like and it was and it was the same thing. It was an hour and a half and every single song you were like, Holy shit, I can't believe you wrote that one as well. Right. But it was so obvious that there was like a glass bubble around everything that he was doing. Like mm. he never invited you in, whereas Billy Joel you didn't feel like you were in a place with 25,000 people. You felt like you were in a club with 300 and he was right. singing personally to you. I think you. that's true. I think, he, I think there's definitely that kind of vulnerability there. Yeah. I think Bob Dylan's very much in a bubble too. I think Completely. Bob Dylan, yeah. yeah. No, I mean like he doesn't exist on the plane that the rest of us are. It's like the Bono level of right. sort of that. Yeah, exactly. You know, like you're, you're almost the, you know, you're such an archetype that you can't. And to me, like that's the, you know, like those people... That's I don't know, man. I, it was like Ringo Starr said. It was like the 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 saddest moment for him was he went back to his house and like just as Beatlemania was really going, and um, his his family was treating him differently. Mm. And they invited him in, and then they sat him down, and they brought him tea, and it was Ringo this and Ringo that, and it was like the first time that he realized that oh, he was no. now he yeah. was now officially never ever ever going to be that is hard it is hard Starkey again that is you know? the thing I don't know if I could deal with yeah I mean that's the thing is like that that's what I'm talking about and then what's but can fucked- we blame his family. No, I, I mean, <laughs> no, no, it's not. It's you can't even blame his family because people just react to celebrity; they get weird about it. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And the it's thing is condition. that there's there's also a double edged sword to it in that you can't a you can never put it back in the bottle. Like once it happens, you're either then going to continue on that trajectory. Like this goes back to the Lindsay Lohan thing, right? You're either going to continue on that trajectory and become no longer human, or you're going to fall off, and then you have to deal with whatever pain and angst the vacuum of that attention and all of that stuff is going to bring you do you know what i'm saying like yeah the no longer being ringo star right you know like he at least forever like people walk around like holy shit fucking ringo star but if he was you know i don't know like name some other band that was huge that now isn't you know like nobody gives a shit smash mouth right (laughs) (laughs) oh do not pour smash mouth (laughs) smash mouth is doing just fine (laughs) you know or like uh, like, i mean you know we have it with with uh, mcgrath like mark mcgrath from sugar ray like you know like we've hung out with that dude and there's so much self-loathing in that character like yeah it's really you know like i don't i don't want that either Mm -hmm. you know like the authentic thing of it has a sadness unto itself but there's also it's on your terms but i think you know the fuck up in the movie is when he does the stupid thing which is i think the middle ground that you're talking about which is why it's like maybe you shouldn't have take the payment for that fucking song uh yeah (laughs) you know like that's the moment and i think that one of the things that happens is that you the longer you play the game the more you realize that you know, if that had been his rookie mistake, you'd be like, "Ah, oh, it's a rookie mistake." But after everything that right. he'd been this, through, this guy's clearly a, he's a veteran musician. He's, yeah. he but he needed the money in that. Of course, moment. he did. But that's yeah. bullshit. Yeah. Except, it, except, of course, ironically, it turned out he didn't need the money after all. Right. So he just gave it all away for nothing. But the thing is that there's other ways. That, you know, like if you were a smart person, you'd be like, "All right, listen. You know, this is." whatever that character's name is, like clearly there's a there's an 80% chance this is going to be a huge hit. So I'm, I'm going to go find another way to get 200 bucks together. Yeah. And I'm, you know, like that's what you would learn over the course of your right. career. Like this, he's... His, this, is not, this is not a guy who makes good career decisions. At right. All. Yeah. So yeah. at that point, he becomes his own worst enemy. And the hope is that you're, you know, like you're not your own worst enemy after, after a while in, yeah. a, in an industry. So the other, the other way I relate to Lewin Davis as a character is that he... The beard? 
Well, the be- sure, the beard and the hair yeah, too, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Jewish, <laughs> looks, the Jewish looks, thing. Looks, he's. Not, I don't think he's actually Jewish. He does look vaguely Semitic. He yeah. does look vaguely Semitic. Yeah, got that yep. look. Um, <laughs> Davis isn't Davis a Jewish name? I feel like it is though. Yeah, Davis he's, is a Jewish name. According to the movie, he's half Welsh, half Italian. Really? Yeah, it yeah. It's not. It's a Jewish name. It's so weird that the Coen brothers. I feel like would you're have... either Jewish or black if you have the last name Davis. Or a black Jew, which is truly... Sammy Davis Jr., yeah. 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 No, but... Yeah. yeah. Davis I know, is, I know like, a yeah. lot of like, black Davises, yeah. so I don't know. But uh, he's Great somebody who seems like he's only comfortable and only completely himself as while he's doing his art. While he's on stage, he's, yeah. totally, he's totally lost at it. Sure. But, he's, but he sometimes has trouble, and he, he's awkward and on edge relating to other people. And yes. that's something that... I, I don't always feel like that, but I often feel like that. And mm. I, I, I definitely... I, I'm horribly uncomfortable 99.9% of the time. Uh, I'm not entirely comfortable on stage, but I know people like Alexa, my girlfriend, is is terrible in general company. But then mm-hmm. you get her on stage and she's phenomenal. And right. that to me is, you know, that compensatory device. I'm glad that I'm not 110% comfortable on stage because I think that then you're without it you are fucked i mean lewin davis talks about what he's what he is first suggested maybe you should go back to the merchant marine he says what should i just exist right mm-hmm. uh, which is su- such a harsh phrase like if, yeah. if, if you're not practicing your art like this what's basically you're just around for no point whatsoever well this is interesting so i mean we've both uh i can't believe that uh that she has no idea about your musical genius. That's really... Yeah. That's I meant to bring you the CDs and I fucked it up. I don't think you've ever heard, uh, heard you, any of my musical genius. No, because you've career. never talked about it, so how would I know? Talk, I talked about it. I mentioned it a couple of times. You have not mentioned it. You, his, can, go to, you can go to joshrichman.net and find some links. His, uh, his hip-hop, is, is uh, his, his <laughs> rapping is, is enviably brilliant. That's oh. the part that I didn't know about. So um, here's the question. So we've, I mean, we've played, so I think the biggest crowd we probably played to was like, you know, 2,500, 3,000 people yeah. at the joint. Yeah. And um, the rush that doing that is doing that is, is fucking insane. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. But I think what's interesting for me, and I, I, this is what I meant to, you know, like it's something I could, I, I could not have, have or leave. You know, like I could take it or leave it. Like I don't need to have three thousand people blowing sunshine up my ass. In fact, it makes me feel incredibly uncomfortable. And one of the things that I found out when I was the lead singer of a band that people were reacting to was it was I got to a place where I realized that the um, transaction that I was having with the audience was flawed because what I was asking for was for understanding. Right. What they thought I was asking for was for adoration. So when they gave me adoration back, I was not what I wanted. What I wanted was for them to be like, dude, we get it. And instead it was, they thought that I was doing it in order to have them be like, Oh my God, you're amazing. Mm. Which is just makes you feel uncomfortable. So the people that require that, Oh my God, you're amazing is because they have a fucking hole in the middle of them. Right, that they need to have filled. It's not even. It's not even necessarily like a tension-seeking behavior as much as mad. It's. It is a rush to to do something you love and express yourself. Yeah. and have people there react. Sure, but I can get that just from having six hundred people listen to my podcast. That's true. You know, I can get like five emails back that are like, dude, what you're doing is amazing, and that's just as powerful, if not slightly more than three thousand, because it's it's true understanding. Because they tell you that they'll be like, oh, the thing that you're doing, because that authentically is what I want to be doing. So for you. Being, you know, socially awkward and all that sort of thing. Did you find the experience of being... <laughs> calling it. 
You know, I mean, because I am. I'm horribly no, socially yeah, awkward. And, and I do an I, unbelievably yeah, good too, job sure. of faking it, for sure, but it's awful. I do a better job of faking it than I used to, but I still sure. feel awkward, like, all the time. Yeah, no, it's terrible. Yeah. It's, it, you know, and, and I don't think people who are not socially awkward would know what that feels like. It is crippling. I mean, are you socially awkward? Um, I don't think I'm socially awkward, but I'm kind of naturally more shy than I am now. Like, sure. when I was younger, I was a lot more shy, and... Like my mom would always encourage me. She would make me talk to like people in stores or like managers or like. <laughs> it was really annoying. She'd be like, "Oh, just like, like you know, learn to be more extroverted." Yeah. Sure. yeah. So she would make me like talk to like people and ask them questions. And I, when I was a kid, I never wanted to. And it's like, but I like people, so it wasn't something where, and I felt awkward. I was just shy, and then I kind of learned to be less shy. And then, you know, my job obviously requires me to not be shy although there's actually there's plenty of awkward lawyers but just like what i do doing like, <laughs> no, trans- dude, some awful awkward lawyers. <laughs> yeah but like doing transactional work um means a lot of talking to people which i love doing so i actually really like talking to people but like i think naturally i am shy so it'll come out like sometimes i'm just like kind of mousy and like i just don't want to be right like talking to people all the time but i never really think of it as like socially awkward i just think of myself as like shy in that way so yeah well there's the uh there's an interesting you know definition that's been created of late uh there's the introvert extrovert right right which is like this you know it's like a venn diagram like so there's like that little bit that crosses over and the more i read about it the more i'm like yeah i'm an introverted extrovert like uh, i have you know moments when i can but they're exhausting you know like being at that level that's why i preferred radio since i was like nine years old was because you could there was it was you could right. just do your thing you in an empty room without worrying about an audience yeah there was yeah. and i didn't uh-huh. have to have a conversation that i have to build you know so it, the the you know the question like so when you were on stage in front of three thousand people you know doing sling and cream and you're the center of attention because mm-hmm. it's just you what was that feeling like as somebody who is generally awfully conscious it- of themselves and it feels great because I know that that moment lasts five minutes and the entire set lasts an hour or so, and right. then I could go back to my hotel room. Yeah. But ha- just being able to compartmentalize that is right. fantastic. If I had to do that all the time, it would be a different story. Yeah. I, how did you feel about the, you know, when that's... I found it was an interesting window, the experience of going to Vegas and sort of being a celebrity for three days. Yes. And then not having to be that at any other point was... Was enough for me to go. I would not want this all the time. A hundred percent. I would yeah. not want to everywhere you go have people know my name. Everywhere you go, people asking you for autographs or to just. And I'm certainly not begrudging any of the people that did it. I can understand why that would happen. But I, f- personally, for me, I was like, I would not want my life to be like this. I feel like I've. I feel like I've met a lot of people recently who are very excited about getting on TV and seem to get excited about even the slightest celebrity interaction. Like yeah. it might be the thing that propels them to stardom. And I'm like, you don't, I, th- I think you don't even really know what you want. If you had this, you wouldn't be all that excited about yeah, it. Yeah, no, it's, mm-hmm. it, it, it is a very, very, I genuinely think it is because you have to have something missing. I think there has to be something that you're compensating for and being socially awkward is not something that is a hole in the inside of me that needs to be filled by 3000 people telling me I'm awesome. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, totally, I, I genuinely yeah. don't feel that I have a hole inside me that needs to be filled. I have a thing that I'm passionate about, but that's not the same. But that's why, like, the Lewin Davis experience appeals to me because he's a guy. If if he's making it work, then he's just occasionally playing shows at the Gaslight to small But the question is, is, is he making it work? Do you th- so? By the end of the movie, you're hopeful, or by the end of that movie, you feel 
That's the, the, Bob, the Bob Dylan thing is weird because it, right. does, it does seem to imply that this it's basically the end of the line for guys like Lewin Davis. Yes. Mm. But or is it the beginning of it? There is, some, there is something optimistic about the ending. There is something optimistic about the fact that, like, you know, the entire movie, it's a, it's a circular structure, right? He ends at basically the same place he begins. Sure. Yeah. Um, but this time around, like, he, uh, he doesn't let the cat escape. Right. And this time around, and, and even when he gets beat up and left in an alley, he, his, uh, he, he looks kind of wry and he smiles and he says, au revoir. Yeah. And it looks like, okay, well, this guy, obviously, he could persevere. He could take a licking and keep on ticking, and maybe that's what it takes. But what's interesting is that the entire time that is happening, and, you know, and this is when I, because I'm not a film person, I'm a music person. Right. So to me, when I absorb film, I do it in a completely different way than I absorb music. I'm much more analytical and I'm willing to give the artist more uh, credit in a song than I am in a movie. So I'm sure that the Coen brothers know that the Dylan thing that's doing, that's being played at the end is the most memorable and truly brilliant song of all of the music that is heard over the entire course of the film. It's, it's why, I mean, it's why the best scene in the, in the movie is the scene of Bud Grossman and where he's playing his heart Right, out, there's no money here. And mm-hmm. there's no money there. Yeah. You know, he, you, can tell, you can tell, like, he's talented. And that he's song got, is incredible. And he's great and he's got something, but he's never going to be a star. Yeah, his performance of that song is entirely authentic. Every, he yeah. means, and what's even crazier about that performance of that song is that you know that A, that dude didn't write it, and B, he's not actually performing it. It's a fucking lip sync. But... The fact that it works. I mean, that it, I mean, to be fair, it is his voice. Oh yeah, no, he's yeah. he's not singing it in the moment though. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it's it, it's faked at such a brilliant level. Right. That you can still feel that that's an authentic moment of performance of that material, and the song is incredible, and the lyrics are magnificent, and the whole yeah. thing. It's, but of, of course, it's a weird choice for him too because he's not picking a commercial song in any no, way. No, it's like some medieval yeah. ballad, a story ballad yeah. from you know eons ago that he's managed to you know pull <laughs> forward into into today or back then. But the, you know the choice of having of, of Dylan appearing at the end and musically machine gunning every other track that you've heard to the point where I was singing it as I was making my Kahlua and coffee. It's true. Mm-hmm. Like, that was the most catchy track. It's the catchiest yeah. track, because, but it's not the fucking JFK stupid song. I can't remember that fucking stupid song. I remember <laughs> counting. That's all I remember, but I do remember... I like, I like Please Mr. Kennedy. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's good. For what it is, it's, it's, yeah. that's why the other moment in the, in, when he's in the car and the fucking stupid um, old McDonald song is being played on the radio, right. like that's, you know, it's interesting because that's what I'm struggling now with, you know, Alexa having got off of the record deal and away from Ireland and these scumbags who just wanted her to be somebody cute with tits who sang and we're trying to, you know, make a career for her. So I'm, this is incredibly prescient because it is that moment where you're like, being authentic is a, is a struggle. It's way harder. It's much more difficult. Yeah, 100%. Jackie, I know this isn't your style of music. No. I know that we've talked in the past about how you, uh, you don't like sad guy with guitar music. So I'm really yeah, curious yeah. how this movie was as, as an experience for you. Um, I actually, I didn't even think that the Dylan song was most catchy. I thought the one that um, it opened with, which came up again. I like Hang song, Me Oh, Hang Me a lot too. Yeah, actually. That one was actually my favorite, I think, out of all the songs. Um, very touching. But yeah, I mean. What music does resonate with you? A lo- actually. <laughs> Oh, okay, uh, a lot of different music does. Sure. I kind of that's what everybody I, says. I know. Here's like some of my top things um, would definitely be Daft Punk. Actually, Nine Inch Nails is, Amy Winehouse is, Chromio is, 
Yeah, no, you you have totally good taste in music. I just think this isn't uh, your style. No, it's not my style. Um, But I also, like, I kind of like a lot, I mean, I definitely like a lot of electronic music. Mm. And I kind of like, um, like, Stramai, I don't even know how you say it. But, um... Gefesselstein, is that oh, it? Did I say it right? Gesaffelstein. Gesaffelstein. Uh, <laughs> I kind of like that vibe, but you know, I'm listening to like reggaeton recently, and uh, I don't care. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Not like everything, but there's a lot of stuff that it's like very specific. Whereas I couldn't, I couldn't tell you like a very specific kind of music. Well, electronic is, but I know it when I hear it that it resonates with me. So like that one first song resonates with me, but the rest of it's kind of like mm, not for me. Like a little whiny for me personally, but. There's something like very. Are there uh, now is are there females who do the confessional singer songwriter thing that you've experienced that resonate with you? Uh, like I like Amy Winehouse. I don't like Adele. If that makes any difference, sure, a distinction yeah, makes yeah, sense. Yeah. But like that's kind of more my thing. So, but I think it's just because it might be a personality trait and also just kind of like what I like in music. So like Amy Winehouse's music to me, even if it's very sad, is also like it's a little triumphant too. So sure. it's like. You know, there's like a lot of pain in there, but then there's like that triumphant part too. Even though she dies, which she's is a she, of course, but she's a scrapper. You can tell that she's fighting the whole right. time. Right, and I, so I think something yeah. like that's more appealing to me than just like most of this, I am sad. Yeah. Most of this music is pretty sad music and all about pain, especially compared to like Oh Brother Where Art Thou, which had a few of the happier tinged folk yeah. tunes. Sure, this is a. I, I I read online somebody pointing out the most commonly used word of this movie is farewell. Well, I mean, you know, the 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 the. the the setup of of the suicide, yeah, is really heavy. You know, yeah. and the idea, like if you if you if you pull the lid off of that and you and really take a little bit of time and sit in the idea of of a team losing one of the guys to suicide. And by the way, think about how that resonates for the Cohen brothers, right? Two guys who have their entire career made movies as part of a duo yeah i think this is kind of imagining what it would be like sure. if one of them was left behind no i mean it's Whoa, uh, it's yeah. awful you know like the idea of, of and especially you know because it seems that that the um you know even though i don't i don't remember because wasn't here for the first bit i'm just remembering back the, the song that they did together wasn't actually like a huge hit but it was sort of like it was clear that it was the beginning of a future arc right for them. that was where his their career was starting to take yeah, off right people song. were paying attention to it and all yeah. that we do we yeah. do we find out do we because I, I didn't catch the first 15 minutes again do we know why he killed himself um they only no they only mentioned no. it uh yeah that he threw himself off the George so Washington they don't they don't give all... you any of the backstory as to why no that's all right. i know so i mean it, like that idea of being at the beginning of the wave and then losing your partner and then having to work out how to survive beyond that you know it's interesting because somebody brought it up yesterday um was it you or was you we were talking about inherent vice and you were saying the whole the whole (laughs) crux of the movie is the is the sadness of josh brolin with the death of his partner (laughs) right like he spends the entire movie struggling with that i'm going to go back and rewatch it with that as the framework because i did love that movie even though it frustrated the dickens out of me but it's that idea you know it's like how do you continue on having lost you know that connection to yeah. the art and to the music and to f- and yeah feel, to- feeling like maybe nothing he does musically will ever be able to live up to that again and uh, you know it's and this is difficult i think for people and you would get this because you know you've been in in this situation um it's difficult for people who haven't done it to realize how important a true partnership of that ilk is because 
it is a balancing act and it's you know it's the things that he would have done then shot through the prism of somebody else and then the things that they would have done th- shot through his prism creates an entirely different thing yeah. that is the two of them together so without it his art isn't even the same because he's doing things unchecked you know and the, un- mm. the clearly the checking of it is what created the song that would have begun their arc right you know that what i'm saying guy, that this guy is, who's clearly kind of a, a sad internal bastard maybe paired yeah. up with a more extroverted guy sure maybe, maybe that was the combination that worked. right and it was yeah. just this just the right <laughs> amount of sadness and just the right amount of happiness creates this magical medium right, right. that you move forward to it's like you know i mean any great team look at lennon and mccartney like separate yeah cool man like no doubt silly love songs is fucking amazing imagine is incredible like you can't knock you jet i mean all of these right. songs are incredible but but they put, but they, yeah. they clearly did their best work, in comparison action. right yeah. You know, to like the, the rubber soul, and uh, you know, I think that to me, like the true peak of the genius of the genius of those two guys is uh, is rubber soul and revolver. Like that's when everyone is firing on all fucking cylinders. Dude, but I'll even point out, dude, that even their early music, which is when they were really like, Leonard would write a chorus and McCartney would write the verse, and they're yeah. literally writing songs together, yeah. and it it works so well. Yeah. yeah, and and so the you know, like when those teams break up. That's when you truly get to sort of have a, a a reference point that you can see how magical the combination of the two together was. Yeah. So that to me is what overshadows the entire film for me is that, is that the idea of like this guy's completely lost his way because his rudder is gone. Yeah, it's yeah. very it's very much that's what I'm saying. It's very much kind of a, a hangover after this after the yeah. peak type movie. It's and it's it's different in tone than every other Coen Brothers movie we watched so far. Would you Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. It's there's something there's less irony and it's a little bit more earnest and more serious and more just kind of telling it straightforwardly. Yeah, yeah. I think that the other things with the with the uh, and here's another thing about the suicide that is really interesting and is if you take it from the you know you take one step further back from it because we don't have a reference point as to what the other guy was like. If you put the two of them in a room together pre-suicide, you would have picked Davis as the guy who was going to kill himself. Right. Do you know but, what I'm saying? Uh, like, yeah. But often it's the guys who are, you know, smiling on the outside. Right. The, on the the, inside. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's like he's, you know, like that level of it. But to, to the idea of the of the Coen brothers, it's the same thing to me as Grand Budapest Hotel, whatever, in that this is the one where they where a lot of the mystic, mythical storytelling has been removed. Right. You know, all of their other stuff to me, like especially Barton Fink, like has like this, this sort of like almost Terry Gilliam level extrapolation of events like fargo is blown no, out of there's, proportion there's not there's not the same expressionism right say the entire world is very well detailed yeah and very and very both sad and beautiful and yeah. the, enti- the whole cinematography by bruno de bono and it's all very gray and dark but but gorgeous at the same time and, and very 70s looking which well, 60, is the 60s, 60s sorry yeah. which is another thing i liked about inherent vice was the fact that it you know they used the old film stock and it looked like the colors of this look like what like it, it basically to me it's a movie that is shot with whatever they used the cover of blonde on blonde right and then they just made an entire <laughs> movie that looked like that yeah you know what i'm saying that's almost that's yeah. like i think literally what they did is yeah they the, looked at like old 60s folk record covers and tried to simulate that look the browns you know the tones of like everything subdued but not in like an artistic kind of way just in a reality kind of way you know yeah so so really it just becomes a straight up character portrait and i think one of their best ones um mm. i saw a lot of reviews of this movie uh that said they were kind of taken out of it because they just thought lewin davis was such an asshole they couldn't relate to him really which I which 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 I actually took personally. It was like, come on, <laughs> don't, I don't say that about me. 
Because I'd be curious to hear what you guys think, because I don't think he's an asshole at all. I think he's a guy who sometimes lashes out at people, but and sometimes just says what's on his mind, but his heart is almost always in the right place. I don't think he's an asshole. Uh, thank, thank you. You're welcome, Josh. <laughs> you're a nice guy. But you know, okay, because a lot of what we've been talking about anyway, and even talking about a good musical partner, is you know, the human need to be understood. So yeah. I kind of see him as a person who's just really misunderstood because I'm sure his partner was the one who got him and then it's like, whatever this thing is with... What's her name again? Julia? Did oh, uh, Jean? Why did I think it was Julia? Yeah, Jean. <laughs> um, with Jean, it's like, you know, whatever's going on there is like, clearly he's not understood. And... No, she... Oh, yeah, she is just lashing out at him. Yeah, right. So I'm just saying like, that's that's not like to her, the love she, to of her, his life to that's her, like some weird thing to her he's the biggest asshole in the world of course considering the position he's in you can't totally blame her right but so he doesn't have a relationship <laughs> in his life that makes him feel understood or grounded or like anything he just seems so alone because he just doesn't like he doesn't have his musical partner he clearly doesn't have like a relationship partner he doesn't have like a best friend or anything that yeah. like gives that to him he's so, just he's I, a nomad moving from place to place to whoever will, will take him in yeah now here's the question with, with the uh the relationship with her, she's let down by the fact that he can't be the thing that she needs him to be for her. Because if she, if he was the thing that he, and she sees that thing and it's in him, but he can't get there, and that's where her anger comes from. I don't know. It's, I don't know about that either. I don't. I don't think so. There's. It's a lot of it's happening in subtext, but I, a key line is when she says on that bus bench, "I miss Mike." I think she might have been into Mike, and then Mike was gone. And then, her, sure. and then her and Lewin might have hooked up as kind of a compensating. No, it's absolutely so, but that. that. <laughs> but that wouldn't be understanding somebody, right? Like if you are it's looking at somebody, somebody. Yeah. if you're looking at somebody just like, mm, like you have so much potential, like you could be this, you could be that. Like if you just did X, Y, Z, that's not taking the person for who they are. And I think like understanding is like, this is who you are. I understand who you want to be. And I think somebody who understands you makes you your best self, but they're not like, it's not outside of you. Like they don't have like some outside agenda for you, which I think she did have for him. Well, this is the question uh, the ultimately at the root of it, right? Which is the, right. the discussion that you have to have about all artistic people in quotes and in that sort of scenario. What is stopping him from actually doing it? Doing what? From like from making it? Yeah. As a musician? Yeah, from from realizing what he really wants to do. Yeah, he's he's stubborn and he's very committed to to following his own direction, going his own way. Once again, sure. not. But Grossman basically did offer him a position, maybe being in like a Peter Paul and Mary type folk act, possibly could have taken it off for him, or right. maybe he would have could have got more serious about demanding royalties and figuring out how to save money and things. He's he is his own worst enemy. Right. So the question becomes: Is the love that she? You know, like obviously she she was much more into the other guy. Mm-hmm. But is it that she sees him and knows that if he would just get out of his own way, his skill set is more than enough to get him to be at the Bob Dylan level, or is that inherently impossible? That's the grand question for me. Is like, how do you reconcile that? Is it that you're making a choice to fuck yourself over, or having done that myself, like I have to look at it and be like, am I my own worst enemy, or did I make position like, or, or, to, or, did, or did I do as well as I possibly could in right. the circumstances? Give, maybe I'm a victim of bad timing or whatever. Or is it? I mean, there's an there's a fascinating book that I, I quote all the time. That's called uh, the title of it is Identity Equals Destiny, mm-hmm. and the idea being that is. Is your destiny completely driven by who you are? 
Hmm. Right. Your response to your choices, your response to your situations, your response to like any opportunity that comes up is your your personality drives your response to it. Or are we all just basically pawns at the whims of the world who can't control our own destinies at all? I mean that. Fate. (laughs) Fate. Yeah. But then this is, thro- but that's thrown, it, the, 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 the highlighter pen that then makes a fucking joke of that decision is that the person who has made the greatest decision over their future is in this entire film is Mike. That's dark. <laughs> He's the only one who took his destiny and, and defined it in his own terms, right? But I also, but I mean, you also have guys like, uh, you know, Troy Nelson who gets his contract, and he's just like a, he's a nice guy, and he connects with people, and he's disciplined, and obviously that's like the route you're supposed to follow if you're if you're gonna if you're gonna make it. But he's Vitali- writing schlock bullshit, right? But right. His, but his songs are terrible. It, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. and is it you know like that's the? I mean, we've all seen that. There's plenty of people who are successful who clearly don't mean it. And are painting by the numbers. So you get into that situation where it's like, if you're truly somebody who means what you're doing, but is, is it, the, but is that guy inauthentic, or get, or is he like Lewin says, just kind of you know a robot who has to plug himself in at night? Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> like that's there. There are those people that you look at and you're like, how the fuck did you do it? And it's because they literally give, they give the Tupperware to whoever needs the Tupperware. You know, like when I was working at a hip hop label, it was when I realized that the label actually didn't care about the music anymore. All they give a shit about was it was a piece of Tupperware that we were selling to people. And if people needed blue Tupperware, we sold them blue Tupperware. If they needed red Tupperware, we sold them red Tupperware. So that guy is just a piece of Tupperware that gets sold. (laughs) And if you're trying to be an artisanal, you know, handcrafted bowl, where's your place in in the market, in quotes? Right. And I think, and and I feel like Lewin Davis is good enough There's. He's never going to be a Bob Dylan, but there should be a place for him. There should be there a is an audience. There, yeah. there is an yeah. audience out there. It's just can he can he sustain it? Can he make it work for him? Well, this is what's interesting because the ending when he when he's playing to the full crowd and people are clearly appreciative yeah. right before Dylan comes on. Right, you can make a living being that guy. What is success to you? Is the question. So that's right. another one of those like subtextual like what it, what does success look like? Do you want to have 50,000 people, you know, blowing you? Or are you cool with a room of 500 really getting what you're doing? And I think that's why ultimately the movie is optimistic. You know, this guy has to go through so much. He almost he almost gives up until he finds himself in a position where he, he literally can't even give up. Right. He doesn't have the ability to go back to his old job. So he just... He just keeps going and keeps doing what he's been doing, and maybe he keeps just kind of running in circles and having to deal with bullshit. But he is—he is playing shows. Well, he, he could go audience. back to his old thing if he's willing to spend the money to do it, in order to do it. So it's like the, you know, like this right. is—I think—one <laughs> of the things that's really difficult about you know trying to 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 do anything of you know like of this bent is that the the in quotes universe constantly provides you with things that you could look at that would be like that's you're on a drip feed of almost success you know what i'm saying like opportunities come up and things happen and you're like oh that's telling me that i'm supposed to stay on this path cuz that thing didn't fall through or that one guy and we're doing this show and it's fucking great and that you know like you sort yeah. of you convince yourself that the universe is sending you signals that you're on the right path right. it could be total and complete <laughs> bullshit right. it could be the universe is looking at you and being like dude man like this fucking opportunity is nothing like why would you look at this thing and think that this is a game changer but when you're you know i've always but I, said but i do that all the time you, you have gotta, to you, gotta, you have to you have to because <laughs> like that otherwise you'd put a you'd jump off the fucking George Washington bridge <laughs> right. you know because you you have to find some sort of 
you know like meaning yeah some sort of meaning or some sort of uh, you have to derive some sort of hope out of these situations that happen to you that you're on the right path like these opportunities i believe that success is f- solely through attrition mm-hmm just through just go, going and going and building just, up a bunch of little just successes. Just being the last... Fo- I mean, I'm 46 years old, and I, there's two of my friends that are still doing music. Right. Since high school, when there was fucking 50 of us. Right. You know, and they, then you they, just, they just slowly start slowly falling off. Slowly fall away. And, no, not and, even music, like art. You and, know? Qu- and quote unquote just exist. You and know? they, you know, yeah. they, they go on and they have different, you know, they have wives become a priority and families. And then right. all of a sudden they haven't fucking picked up a guitar in 10 years. Right. You know, and you just kind of, or a paintbrush. And, and, and you know, like the, the, the only reason that I'm in the room still standing is because everybody walked out of the room. Now, I don't know if that makes me a fucking moron. Or if that makes me the unbroken of my art friends, you know what I'm saying? Like, did I did I suffer the bird? You know, did I did I suffer the bird long enough to make it out of the the coal mine? You know, I think that I no, I think that's the central message of this movie too. That success is just uh, perseverance. Perseverance, yeah, perseverance, and also defining success yourself. Yeah. Because if, you're, if your definition of success is to be on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine, then there has to be a very, very specific path that you fucking travel unless you want to really, really, you know. I mean, it was one of the problems that I, my, my dad always had with, with my choice of life was, you know, it was always like, what's plan B? And I was like, plan B is to go back to plan A and find out what went wrong and redo it again and not make the same mistake twice. And then to also factor in that one of the things with the success in an art blah, blah, is that success is a constantly moving target. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you want to be the CEO of a, of a corporation, there's a very linear path that you can go down to get to that point. If you want to be a successful artist, right. you are firing into a darkened room in the hopes of hitting something. And, you, and things you think are going to be your trip to success don't work out. Don't and work things out. that seem like a total lark actually is the thing that skyrockets you and you have no idea. You have no up idea. Is, up is down. Yeah. I mean, you're, you know, like your trajectory with the radio show, like you would have <laughs> looked at that you know, at the beginning of it and been like, oh, dude, this is going to be fucking. And then you, you know, you visit it five years later and you're like, wait, <laughs> how did this happen? You right. know what I'm saying? But at the beginning of it, that arc looked like it was a sure thing. And uh, you have no idea, you know, like what? Eventually it just requires you to, you know, be tactical instead of strategic and just always responding and always yes. uh, just moving with the current. You have to be, you know, constantly willing to recognize when opportunities come up and act on them very quickly. What is that yeah. famous Jack Nicholas quote or whatever it is that, uh, Luck is uh, preparation meets something or other. You could probably do no, it. That's not Jack Nicholson. Who is it? Jack, no, Jack, Jack Nicholson. Yeah, the, oh, the, the, the golfer. <laughs> yeah, Jack Nicholson. Isn't that a Jack Nicholson like, quote? I I'm going to bash like, your fucking brains in. Yeah. Isn't that Jack Nicholson said, here's Johnny. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a... The great philosopher Jack Nicholson. <laughs> I thought it was a golden quote, but yeah, it's just like luck is hard work means preparation. Right, yeah, right. I think yeah. that's yeah, a Jack. Yeah. I think that's a Jack Nicholas quote. Um, but yeah, like that one. Like, what the fuck? How are you supposed to plan for that? How are you supposed to plan for luck? Yeah, <laughs> you're not. Right, exactly. So you're the, there's no there's no, no. It's just that the point is that you're supposed to keep working hard, which right. is the attrition thing, right? And just keep working hard, and then you're prepared for it when it happens, or almost. I think like in here right with like Lewin he's like doing this stupid session and then he's like yeah yeah I'll just take the 200 I won't do the royalties <laughs> that's like a good example of just not being prepared right it's just like 
Right. I mean, if you'd had a little bit know, more like, money in your savings to deal with this abortion thing, then you would have had, been able to take the royalties. Sure. And, yeah. Or you do, you know, like the, you know, like the stories of Louis C.K. where he would do, you know, like he would get 50 bucks a show in New York and he had a fucking scooter and he would do 15 sets a night. Yeah. And walk away with, you know, like $700 in an evening and all of his friends were getting like, you know, a hundred bucks because they were doing two sets. And he was like, no, you've got to make yeah. this shit work for yourself. Or I think when you're comparing to other people who are like very successful or whatever what they're doing, again, I think there's something about that where you are willing to compromise a bit, right, on your authenticity or think about authenticity differently. Like maybe being authentic is just admitting, okay, I do want another level of success, so I'm going yeah. to try to hit that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I guess I mean like, because I struggle with authenticity all the time and like feeling like what I'm doing is meaningful or personally satisfying. And I think you also kind of realize that like, even if you're an artist or you're doing something, not every single little thing you're going to be doing is going to be personally satisfying, authentic, and meaningful. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes you're doing certain things to help you overall be authentic or something like that. So it's like if your choice is between doing whatever like side gigs to like try to just only do authentic music, you could do that or you could also like sell out a little bit. I'm doing that in air quotes. That kind yeah. of lets you still like do your music, but like you kind of realize there's like a spectrum of things you're my dad to do is or a, not my dad's do or a free, compromise. My dad is a freelance writer and he's done all sorts of crazy goofy jobs. But yeah. uh, but also I mean but and I ultimately you know kind of being a mercenary and just lending out your talents wherever. At the end of the day, he's a, he's a working writer. Right, he's making a career as a writer, and I you you have to respect that. Well, I think yeah. that uh, it's really difficult once you've achieved, and then you know this is how the the Katy Perry's of the world. Like if you see what Katy Perry was doing before she, you know, got machined, she was a very individual artist. It was much more, you know, her thing. And now you see her and there's, I mean, watch the video of, um, that, uh, I come room back. Flim, flim, oh, flim, dark horse. Flim. Dark, which is a phenomenal song, except juicy J is a joke. And that fucking, <laughs> you like little, that song? I think, I like that song. I think that I song is incredible. Really? That's like my favorite Katy Perry song. Uh, I think firework is my favorite Katy Perry song, <laughs> but I do think that, uh, I think that song Jackie is your favorite Katy Perry song. Teenage something. Oh my God. Teenage <laughs> dream. Um, I'm kidding. Cause I don't really like Katy Perry that much. <laughs> the thing with the, with the thing with dark horse is that it builds up to a course that doesn't exist. It's fascinating. It's an incredibly yeah, it's bold, cool build to nothing. Yeah. incredibly bold choice, but nonetheless, uh, tone is bad. watch the video for that. And that chick's dead behind her eyes. Like she's dead. Like you look at her eyes like, and there is like, she just feels no connection. To there is music. nothing going on back there at all. And you know, what is that experience of, of music? And you know that she wanted to do something else because if you, you can go back and find her old videos on YouTube mm -hmm. of when she was much more Alanis Morissette. When she was Katie Hudson. Yeah, and yeah. it was mm -hmm. like she was truly invested in what she was doing. So like once you've uncorked, that genie doesn't go back in the bottle, man. We should talk about a couple other facets of this movie we haven't gone to yet. Um, we should talk about the road trip. A lot of critics had issues with the big, long, uh, extended road trip. With Goodman in with, with, uh, with Goodman, yeah. Okay. Um, what did the critics say? Because they know so much. <laughs> Basically, lo it's long and shapeless. It seemed like it went on, yeah, way too long and was unnecessary. Now, an argument for it that I've seen as well is that this movie, if you think about it, is basically structured like a folk song. Where it starts at one place and ends at the same place, which is kind of like the refrain, the chorus. That's you know? very clever. Okay. Um, and mm. and if you think of it like that, then you could almost think of the the road trip as, as almost the bridge. Like, as the bridge, or like sure. the guitar solo, or whatever. Okay. Um, like just the extended period of reflection in the middle. 
Yeah. Which I, I think works interestingly, and I think it frames the eventual uh Bud Grossman scene ex- extremely well because you see the miles that he had to travel to get there just to hear we don't see enough money in you and then he heads back. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the equi- it's it's the heart of darkness thing, right? Like it's the journey down the river. Like you can't you can't abbreviate that journey down the river, right? You know, if you do, then it doesn't have the dramatic weight of the journey down there. Like, if that was a fucking two-minute road trip scene, you'd be like, oh, cool. Then he got in a car and he arrived somewhere. No, exactly. You know what I'm saying? Like, it had to be... I totally think it works for that reason. Yeah, it has uh, to be lengthy and protracted with all these little weird moments in it. I agree. And I like things that are real. So I was actually thinking about that as it was happening, too, which is that, like, this would be maybe boring for a lot of viewers or, Mm -hmm. like, I would see critics being like, oh, what's the point of this? But it did add that, like realistic drawn out feeling of like yeah not like two seconds later he's yeah, in no, Chicago he, right. it's right. like he was like in his car and then he was in the bathroom and then he got like they're pulled over I mean all this and having to deal with fucking John Goodman yeah. <laughs> and his rants yeah like knocking him I, I, I do think it is a bold choice on their part though because sure. you are you are basically making the audience sit through a lot of long stuff that doesn't seem related to anything that's come before it I mean, I, I think, it I think it's I think entirely it's... related to everything that comes before it because yeah. his entire life is a lengthy road trip with horrible people and shitty events and fucked up stuff. You know, it's like the road trip is the metaphor for the entire movie. Yeah, I think so, too. There's also an argument to be made that John Goodman's entire character is essentially where Lewin Davis might be in 30 years, like a vision of his death. Because he's this jazz bow, you know, this authentic mm. old jazz musician. Who's kind of followed his jazz path, and by the '60s, we're starting to get into the, the declining period of jazz in America. Sure. And he's just, you know, he's just looking at the end of it. And the end of it is just ranting and raving about how you're the real authentic musician. While meanwhile, you're just, you know, a drugged up heroin addict waiting to die. I mean, that's entirely. I, I think that, that I think that it's it's definitely a. Uh, we're all in danger of doing that. Like the cynicism. Like I have to fight it. Right. You know, like I have to fight constant cynicism. I'm incredibly judgmental. You know, I'm incredibly judgmental of stuff. Like if there's a band I don't like, it's not like, ah, I think they're okay. It's like, fuck that band is a piece of shit. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like Imagine Dragons can suck a fucking dick. They're doing nothing to help music <laughs> at all. They are part of the problem, not part of the solution. They're the last rock band. They're, yeah. Ex- <laughs> like, are they? You know, like, really? You know, like, I, I, it's awful. Like when you see Rolling Stone magazine, or like, you know, the fucking, the cover is Lana Del Rey and they're like, the she saved rock. Like, no, no, she. She did it, you know. So it's it's incredibly difficult to 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 fight the cynicism of of be, of being the fat guy on in the back of the car just yeah. talking shit. Yeah, it's really difficult. It's way easier to do that than it is to actually be like an active artist. Yeah, and yeah. it's much more difficult to do that than to than to really. That's why you know I'm. I love the fact that I think Katy Perry's Dark Horse is fucking awesome. I love the fact that I think that Carly J. Repson fucking whatever Ray Jepsen's <laughs> fucking Call Me Baby is a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. Like, and anyone who says it isn't a masterpiece doesn't understand the genius of creating a song in fucking 2013 that doesn't have a bass line on it. There's yep. no bass on that fucking song. That song is devoid of a bass line. That's unheard of. Yeah. It is held together with it's, a bass drum beat. It's practically when doves cry. It is a it's, yeah. exactly. It's a drum beat. <laughs> it is a string quartet, and it is an unbelievably magical vocal. If you can f- do that in 2013, after all the pop songs that have ever been written before it, 
and pull that off and have that be a worldwide smash. Anyone who decries that song is a moron. Oh, sure. I won't, I will not question that. You know what I'm saying? But that's what I'm saying. Like, it would be easy for me to be like, Carly Rae Jepsen. So I get hope from the fact that maybe I'm not going to be a cynical Goodman in the back of the car, just gaining weight and dying eventually on a toilet because I can find joy in the fact that jazz is falling away, but there's still amazing things being done in other formats because that's really hard to fight that. Yeah, it's incredibly music, it's, difficult. It's always just always changing. And film. That's you love will get left behind. Yeah. I was talking to somebody the other day who was like, I'm not my fucking superhero film. I'm going to fucking kill myself. I'm like, yeah, no, I totally get that it. That sounds like me uh, two days ago. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same point, there's amazing movies that are being made on Netflix that you can see. And there's small studios that are putting great movies out that you can find in ways that you couldn't before. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. the, well, there's options out there. There's a million options out there. And if you want to become cynical, you can. But the world is always going to give you the opportunity to become cynical. Why would you take that option? One more thing we should mention about Inside Lewin Davis before we, before we start get to getting to our final segment. What's, what's the deal with the cat? What does this cat oh mean? Oh, my God. I love the cat. The cat is, ador- the cat is adorable. And it's, uh, it's, it's, you it's, see, I think, cats in movies a lot more rarely than dogs because... Um, I hear from like a lot of directors and movie producers that it's just you can't control cats. You can't make cats do what you want. Yeah, cat, you just put a cat on screen and hope that it goes in the oh, big that's direction. A very, very good choice of of where it's yeah. of. Uh, Are you trying uh, to say? I mean, you cannot. Uh, this is what I. This is where I get into this movie bullshit. There's no fucking way that the Coen brothers were like, we should put a cat in the story because it's the one animal we're not going to be able to control on set. So. Just taking no. this, like, the, is the choice of a cat not, being shot actually part of the, no, is I'm that not, an analogy for the, is that a metaphor? I was not, I was not going to argue that. I'm definitely not <laughs> arguing that. I mean, I would if, well, I was a, yeah, if I was a Cohen brother. The cat, like, which part was it after the cat ran away where there was like, he sees the poster for The Incredible Journey? Right. Yeah, maybe There's that kind of puts it together. And the cat's, like right and after it. not to mention the cat's name is Ulysses. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, come like, on. Can you believe, what? His name is Ulysses? Um, both, uh, yeah, both a reference to his journey and a reference to a brother where art thou again, which is this kind of a spiritual sequel to. Yeah, I mean, the journey, the Ulysses journey thing. I mean, is it, you know, the cat is obviously representative of a bunch of things. Sure. Yeah. Uh, perhaps, perhaps Lewin's inability to be responsible for anything and all of the poor decisions he makes. The fact that he actually takes a cat that's just on the streets of New York and drives it out to the middle of nowhere and then like leaves it there and then later probably hits it with his car. Yeah, yeah. That was really sad. It was very sad. And it then, was almost like a disregard for himself the way he was disregarding the cat. Well, well, you know, when they say early on, when he's trying to say, hey, Lewin has the cat and they say, Lewin is the cat. Right. Maybe Lewin is the cat. Right. Well, then there's the, <laughs> and then there's the, you know, the, the you, you get back into the idea of luck in that the cat just comes home at the end of the day yeah like you couldn't have planned for the cat to come home the cat just ultimately comes back so is it that if you wait long enough yeah if you wait long enough things just work out right. naturally i guess hopefully and it's why i think again this is mostly basically an optimistic movie well there was the incredible journey thing then the cat did make it home i guess across New York. Yeah, I forgot about that. There's also the symbolism of the incredible journey. Yeah. <laughs> right. So the cat did this incredible journey from one part of the city to the other. Yeah. But then Lewin takes another cat with him, <laughs> abandons the other cat, even though it's so cute looking at him yeah. in the car. Oh, yeah. I was dying. Um, but what was he going to do? Should he have just taken the cat with him? 
I think so. <laughs> Try to hitchhike with the cat. He has a responsibility for a freaking cat. I yeah. mean, I would have personally just let the cat loose again back in New York. I mean, like, right? I would have gone back to the coffee that's shop. A real, that's yeah, a really that's, good point. I would have gone saying. back to the coffee shop and let the <laughs> right. I would have let the that's and that's you know that's another one of the uh, you know is that necessarily a poor decision or is that just the storytelling device? And this is when you get into trouble when you try to make, yes. you know, lifelong metaphors out of movies. <laughs> so, <laughs> right? what do other people think the cat is about? Um, no, because I, I saw I saw another point of view online. Somebody saying that the cat is definitely representative of Lewin. You know, the yeah, Lewin is the cat. cat. Yeah. So, well, what does that mean then? That that equally, the cat is both injured and saved. Yeah. Well. Yeah. But it's two cats. Two different cats. Right. But if it's Lewin, then is it two different Lewins? Do, uh, do we lose one Lewin and they, on the road trip who doesn't return to New York because he gets hit in the and possibly killed well, is the on cat, a highway? Is the cat alive and safe or dead and abandoned? Maybe it's both. A uh, serious man reference. Schrodinger's cat. Right. Tying it all together. Oh, that's very that's what happens on this show. <laughs> Look, we are. We, it is. We, it's a Schrodinger's cat thing. Yeah. That's very good. We Man, have to. We got to wrap. We got to wrap up the segment. So I just sometimes ask I know you. you're not retarded. <laughs> Thank you. You know, Josh is very smart. It's not often, but yep. when you do it, it's good. Exactly. <laughs> when I'm into my elements, I'm good. At just socially awkward and weird. At yeah, all yeah, the rest you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, yeah. you're great on Davis. the podcast. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so look, final thoughts about this movie, guys. Uh, overall, did you did you like it? Did you think it mostly worked? Do you think it it was successful in what it was setting out to say? I think it did. Uh, you know, honestly, I think I I would recommend it to 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 artists to watch for sure. I don't think I'd watch it again. I I've think seen I'd, this movie like three times in the last year. I think so I'd, I'd watch, watch Barton Fink. If somebody was like, hey, let's watch a, you know, let's watch a, yes, a Carn Brothers movie, I'd be like, okay, well, Barton Fink's the one we're going to bang in the old, in the old gerent. Right. Um, so, but I think it's, I would say. Barton if, Fink definitely had like a, a what the fuck level that this didn't have. Yeah. Like I liked it. Uh, to, to me, the Barton Fink thing is Terry Gilliam-esque. Right. And that, I'm a big fan of that. So I, like I, I but I would say that if you are, if you're an artist, this would, or somebody who wants to explore the possibility of you know art in life, I think that this movie is mandatory viewing. Jackie, I liked it. I have to think about it some more. The reason I'm even kind of quiet during this episode too is like I just watched it, and uh-huh. I feel like this is one that kind of required a little bit more pondering than other ones. Like sometimes we can just watch it, and then I can like immediately right get into it, right. but. I liked it. I just have to think about it some more. I think that's fair. Yeah. Which is interesting because that would... So, I don't know. The other movies that you've watched, and, and have you done the same thing where you've watched them right before you've... No. Sometimes we watch it the night before. So but it you hadn't known any Coen Brothers stuff before this? Or had you seen stuff? I accidentally had seen Burn After Reading, which I didn't realize. I, I, which I don't like Burn After Reading, so I guess <laughs> I completely blocked out of my mind. But um, that's the only Coen Brothers movie I've ever seen Okay, before. so the other stuff you sort of... So I saw that's, it for the first time, and then we would do it. But I would usually at least have a night to sleep on it or you know something. Um, so you know, no thoughts have knocked around in my brain independently right. about this movie yet, and I think this is a movie that kind of requires. Some I think that's reflection. fair. Yeah, I, and I so, think it's a. It's actually well, the reason I ask that question is because I think it's it's also a commentary on the movie, right? Mm-hmm. That it's quite possible that you know, if you'd done Oh Brother Where Art There right before this, you'd have been out of. I mean, not Oh Brother, the other one. There will be whatever the other movie is. So you'd be able to instantly jump into Which it. The one? fact, the, the the fucking they're they're. Oh, Inherent Vice? And no, any of the other Coen oh, Brothers film. Okay. Like, this one is the one where you might need a little bit of time to, you know, like, I think that that's... To unpack it. Yeah, that's like a... a it's sort I mean, of... There's a few others that kind of took some thinking, too. I can't remember which ones, but this one specifically, yeah, I yeah. agree. This one is, is probably the top one that needed more reflection. Yeah. 
Well, maybe we'll hear an update on your thoughts about it on the next episode. We maybe do. you will. Me personally, like I said, this is a movie that has personal meaning for me. But even beyond that, I think it's amazing that the Coen brothers are able to find new tones and new ways to make movies this yeah. late of their career. Because this does feel like something completely new for them. Yeah. Um, a step away from the kind of the even when they didn't do comedies i think there was a level of irony and remove in a lot in a lot of their films yeah yeah um and this one this one is i think probably their most like emotionally vulnerable and serious film and i think it i think it's 100 percent effective at that and and a great great performance by i didn't even mention just i love oscar isaac's performance in this movie so puts you in his shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, is that the main kid? Yeah. Oh no, incredible. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. so good in this. Yeah, I think every. I mean, as always, I think that the, I, that's one of the things. I mean, I would imagine as an actor, it would be really exciting to have the opportunity to make a Coen Brothers film. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? It's, like, yeah, it, you, it's like you, as a basic as. He'd, he'd done some memorable character roles before this, but he was basically an unknown. Yeah. Now he's going to be in like the new X Men movies and a bunch of other things. Oh, nice. Partly based on this. Oh, cool. Yeah. No, he uh, he definitely is that guy, you know, and, and he's hundred percent, hundred percent. But yeah. I think that you know, I, I think that there are some. I, I, if I were Justin Timbles, I would be fucking <laughs> stoked because Timbles <laughs> nails it, you know. And I, yeah, I'm a huge fan of of Timbles. I think that I think if there's <laughs> anybody, if there's anyone who's been. It's interesting that, I mean, like, God, you could just do it. You could fractalize this entire fucking film, but it's very interesting that once again, the Coen brothers chose to pick a dude who, if you looked from the outside, you would say is, has sucked more dick to get to where, like, not literally, of course, but has career-wise was in a fucking boy band, and now he's this guy. And, well, the whole NSYNC experience. But sure. the question is, is like, I don't, I think that, that Justin Timblebag has been completely completely complicit in his adventure and is actually where he would want to be do you know what i'm saying like yeah. i don't think i don't think he wakes up in the morning i don't think right before he goes to sleep on his 15 million thread count sheets in one of 28 houses he has around the planet there's a moment of dark reflection for justin timbles i think mm-hmm. timbles is just like fuck have you seen how hot my wife is my <laughs> life is extraordinary you know and i don't think he's compromised his vision of himself i think that he wanted to be the king of pop and he's never going to get to be the king of pop because michael jackson did it already but he's as close as you could as close as you could get, get. Yeah. like he is more fucking respected than usher he's more respected than probably 99 of the people that he wished to have emulated in his career mm-hmm. and he can do anything and he gets to be in a coen brothers movie yeah, right yeah. and he's fucking awesome in it and it's not caricature. Yeah, I don't think yeah. he, I don't think he's I don't think he's uh, kept up at night by dark thoughts of what. No, might have been. <laughs> no. I mean, I'm sh- you know, I'm sure there's you know there's regrets and all that. But what I'm saying is like I don't think he looks at it and goes, "Man, I just wish I hadn't sucked so much fucking corporate dick he's to get here." He's not having an authenticity. Like, what he really want to be doing? I think, is what he really want to be doing is playing little clubs. Just yeah, no, I think he's I think yeah. he's authentically him because the thing is that if he wanted to do little clubs, he could, and nobody would look at him and think that that was contrived. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you if if, they, if he announced tomorrow that he was going to do five nights at the at the uh, uh, at the Troubadour, <laughs> and you'd be like, well, of course he is. Yeah, he's Timbles. The 2020 <laughs> acoustic experience. Right? Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> but you'd, you'd go, and it would be fucking awesome. On top of everything, it would be incredible. You know, like I have the same feeling about uh, Buble. 
Like Michael Bublé to me is laughing all the way to the fucking weed shop. Like he doesn't give a fuck. Josh Groban, like I don't think that these people are not authentically themselves. Yeah. You no, know I think what? Josh Groban's happy to be Josh Groban. Stoked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Stoked to be himself. You know, I think that, uh, you know, one of the people I think has a hard time is I would like to... <laughs> I'd like to know what Pat Monahan from Train's deep, dark thoughts are right before he goes to sleep. Like, there's got to be something in that dude where he's like... What about, like, an Adam Levine? Do you think Adam Levine wants to be Adam Levine? Yes. Yeah. I think Adam Levine... Adam Levine has a perfume line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Adam You're Levine right. is like... I mean, if you follow a Adam... woman's perfume line. Yeah, no, he's Clear. stoked. He's a... Uh, if you follow him on Instagram, it's pretty obvious that that dude is balls deep in his own life and couldn't give a shit. Because I wonder if there's some part of him that's like, I want to be like a real rock star. No, absolutely not. Why? I guess I, I guess I have no answer to that question. Right. I mean, you know, like I think that I, he's being authentic to his yeah. pop star. Yeah, I think he's star right. Guy. Exactly. Like, and I think that's the key to people who are like successful in a lot of stuff. Is like, I think they can laugh at that kind of thing. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think that uh, I, I, I think he takes himself way too seriously to begin with, which is why he's survived being Adam Levine because he <laughs> that to him is a serious. That's a war holy and pop art he right. thinks he's making. Okay, guys, holy shit, this episode is running long, and we still have one more segment to get to. Let's do our final oh, segment, which is uh, called Raising Airquizona. <laughs> Man. It's when we do a quiz between Jackie and her guest, multiple choice quiz with a theme loosely inspired by the movie. All right. And this time, because this movie has so many guys with the guitars in it, the theme of the movie, the quiz is guitars. Wow. So it's a 10 question quiz. I'm going to lose. I mean, I know that you're going up against like a musician who might yeah. know. Yeah, but I. You never know. You Josh. never know. I could stumble. You, Jackie, you never know. I feel like if you put yourself into this, you could do it. Because I ask tricky, I'll ask tricky questions as usual. Fine. Here's our first question, guys. How small is the world's smallest guitar? Is it six inches long, one centimeter long, or ten micrometers long? How big is a micrometer? Ten micrometers long. You're going to ten micrometers. Yeah. Is it a working guitar? It is a working guitar. Oh, then it's a centimeter. I was going to say centimeter. Are you both saying centimeter? No, I'm going to say six inches, just for whatever. I'm going to say micrometers. Are you guys done switching around <laughs> your, your guesses? I'm yes. done. Okay. Yes, that's my final answer. Well, te- Christian is right. Yeah. It's the okay. micrometers one? The nano guitar created in 1997. It's 17 octaves higher 97 than a... they made something like this? It's 17 octaves higher than a normal guitar, and it's played using tiny lasers that hit the strings. Wow, okay. Yeah. That it's about, seems... It's about the size of a red blood cell. What? Take, yeah, I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> World's smallest guitar. Yeah. All right. Strange categorization of guitar. True or false, Aerosmith has sold more copies of Aerosmith Guitar Hero than any one of their albums. False. I'm going to go with the true on that. That sounds entirely possible. The general public are idiots. It does sound possible, but I'm going to keep my answer. Jackie is right. Not oh, quite. Okay. No, uh, is it close? Um, oh, Toys in the Attic uh, is their most popular album, sold 8 million copies. Uh, Aerosmith Guitar Hero sold 3.6 million. Oh, wow. Okay. Still pretty impressive. Yeah, $50 million in sales from That is crazy. Guitar yeah, I mean, how long did guitars, I mean, how much did Guitar Hero go for? 39 bucks, $49? Oh, yeah. Well, like, yeah, it's like a, right. like a $50 like, game, I would Yeah, like say. five yeah. times the price of an album. It's right. fucking genius. God, I can't believe the Rolling Stones <laughs> didn't do that. That would have been so smart. So fucking God, when smart. The, when the Beatles did Beatles Rock Band, how much <laughs> money do you think that estate made? Bajillions. Yeah, bajillions. 
Question number three. You guys are tied. Famous guitar innovator Les Paul's right arm was set permanently at an angle for most of his life. And do you know the story behind it? A. He had a muscle disorder which caused his limbs to tense and that inspired him to take up a guitar so he could have something to hold to make his arms look more normal. Mm, That sounds believable. B. He got in a car accident that shattered his elbow and asked the doctors to reset his arm at the guitar playing angle. Okay. That also sounds believable. And then C. He he electrocuted himself while working on building his first electric guitar and his arms never worked properly ever since. The thing that's annoying is like I wish this had been like the the uh, the DMV questions where it's like three there's like two of them that are possible one of them like could be I don't think so and then one is just like so absurd that you know it's right. not elephant like D elephant is not the answer no, I'm not all do of that. these sound possible of course I'm gonna go with B that's what I was gonna say too the car accident yeah you guys are right you guys are yes. smart. Um, although okay. he also really did electrocute himself building the I'm first sure. electric guitar yeah, yeah. Uh, and re- which required like years of recuperation did it really hospital. yeah. Les yeah, Paul's been Les through Paul's, a lot he's in no his fucking joke. Guitar. Yeah. yeah. And the Les Paul's a badass fucking piece Total of gear. Total badass. Yeah. All right. What is a gypsy guitar? Is it a guitar with a very short neck, a guitar with seven strings, or a guitar you play with a bow? Hmm. Bow. I'm going to say it's the short necked guitar. You guys are both wrong. <laughs> Damn it. The gypsy guitar is a seven-string guitar, which was invented in Russia, Jackie. Interesting. Okay. Jesus, uh, I, you know I hate when I get Russian Russian tongue. I know, I know. Josh. I, I thought you'd get it for that reason. From, for a very long time, it was like the most popular type of guitar style in Russia. Ugh. It was the seven-string. No. I mean, ugh. Now you know. You know? You'll I'm know Russian, next time. That's the problem. You'll know right. next time. Whose guitar is nicknamed the Red Special? <laughs> is it Brian May, BB King, or Ace Freely? Brian May. Sounds confident, Jackie. Are you sure? You gonna follow? Say them again. Brian May, BB King, or Ace Freely? BB King. No, that one is called. Uh, damn, what's the name of her? I don't Begins know. with an R. <laughs> Begins I'm with an just R, right? Guessing. Uh, Christian was right about yeah. that one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the guitar- Brian. Brian May of Queen. Of Queen. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I no, not the, not some other Brian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the other Brian May. He wanted to create a guitar that was intentionally designed to feedback after he saw Jeff Beck playing live and making different sounds by moving the guitar in front of the amp. So they created a guitar that would ape that sound. Well, what's even crazier is that he actually hand-built the whole thing with his dad, and they hand-built every part of it, including the pickups. Yeah. And it is the only guitar in the world that sounds like that. There's two of them. He had another clone made of it so that he wouldn't have to take the original on the road anymore. But it's that he's the only guy in the world that can get that guitar yeah. sound. That guy is also like he's like a professor or something. Yeah, too. like astrophysics like, yeah, or some shit. Yeah, no, he's a, that guy's awesome. Whoa. He's awesome. Yeah, no, he's the real deal. Brian oh, May Queen, right. no that's joke. True. Question number six: Which of I'm these, in the lead right now. You are in the lead by one. We know. <laughs> which of these actors uh, claim to have once played guitar with John Lennon? Okay. Was it Steve Martin, Mickey Rourke, or Steven Seagal? Rourke. Well. It's. Uh, I'm gonna go with Steve Martin. And you're saying Mickey Rourke? I'm, I, Christian, I'm especially shocked that you would not think Steven Seagal. Because <laughs> Steve, yes, according to a PR biography of Steven Seagal, he claims to have once played guitar with John Lennon. Although further details are kind of sketchy. Yeah, there's no fucking way. There's no way. <laughs> I tried. 
<laughs> no, I, mean, good, good, good I, mean, I mean, the three, the, the, the only logical answer was number one, because it was the only person that you would think would possibly right. be in the but room with But when you think Lennon. about who, who might actually lie about something like right. that. Yeah, like the only, yeah, yeah. I mean, I wish you'd said, if you if in the question you'd said possibly, you know. I, I said, which of these actors claims to have once yeah, played guitar? Yeah. That's why that, sound, that to me sounded like somebody who didn't. Right, right. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Seven, how did Leo Fender test the strength of his, his guitars in the early 50s? A, he propped a guitar between two chairs and stood on it. B, he went fishing using the guitar as a rod. (laughs) C, he gave it to his five-year-old son to play with. I mean, it it would... um, Number one seems to be the only one that's logical. Though fishing with it sounds, you know, but there's not enough stress on that. Unless you're bringing in a real big bash. Jackie? I was going to say B. I'm going to stick with that. Fishing? Yeah. Well, Christian is right. Oh, well, so annoying. <laughs> I hate this quiz. I'm going home. You're only behind by two. You're yeah. not, you are not out of the woods yet. It's true. I could stumble over the next two. Next not two questions are, are base it's related. It's not even a fair. It's not a fair question. Do we have quizzes about law? We never have a quiz about law. Well, that would be, that would, that would be too unfair uh-huh, for the other guests. So it's not yeah. fair for me. When you Jackie, have you're I'm not a guitar player. I'm a drummer. Jackie, oh, come on. We got to get the it's benefit true. of the doubt to the guest. You're my co-host. Ugh. We can't I'll just stack do a, the deck. We can't just we can't just have like a law quiz every episode. And have like, <laughs> yeah, you're demolishing oh, yeah. Who's the king now? Unbelievably, she never beat like no guest ever won the the pop quiz at the end. Maybe we'll squeeze Ugh. like maybe we'll squeeze like one law quiz in before the end of this. Right? I don't even care anymore. All whatever. Right. What the bassist of what band was so bad his bandmates would secretly unplug his amp during shows? Sid Vicious of the Sex Pistols. Was it Sid Vicious of the Sex Pistols? <laughs> you see how unfair this quiz was? Do you see this? Do you hear this? Ugh. Rob DeLeo of Stone Temple Pilots or Pete Wentz of Fall Out Boy? Yeah. Fine, I'll go with Sid Vicious. Okay, you guys are right. Yeah, no, oh, yeah. yeah, we are right because we both knew that answer. Ugh. Sorry. You could have played it cool and close yeah, to the best. I trigger. thought I played it way cooler by getting the answer without All right, saying yes, that was cool. That, that was, was cool. cool. Okay, you're very cool. <laughs> Uh, Sid Vicious didn't really seem to mind though He basically admitted in later interviews Like yeah I know I can't play I didn't give a shit Yeah, yeah he was just happy That's to be in the sex he was festival. authentic He was, yeah. he was authentic <laughs> Sid Vicious was true to himself That's right Alright question number nine What was the name of Jaco- Bass legend Jaco Pistorius' bass? Was Ooh, it I don't know this one The Bass of Doom Wonder Woman <laughs> Or Black Madness Wonder Woman I would go with Wonder Woman as well Because Jaco was quite a character it actually was the base of doom. Mm. Nice. Sounds, yeah, he played the base of doom. That base now owned by Robert Trujillo. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, He's a badass. Yeah, totally. Jack badass. Up a is badass. Okay. Uh, last question, Jackie. You can't quite win, but you can. At least if you want to, by the way, if you're listening and you want a perfect example of how much of a badass he is, listen to uh, "White City" by Pete Townsend. Does he play bass on that? Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah. That bass line is insane. I mean, like you could go with, uh, yeah, he played on, you know, Joni Mitchell stuff and all that. And he's incredible on that. But to me, anyway. All right. Final question on enemies list of the 50 greatest guitar solos of all time. Um, top five. Number five was Muse's Knights of Cydonia. Number You've got to be fucking kidding not, me. Not kidding you in the slightest. Number four. Uh, the ra- number five greatest <laughs> guitar solo of all time goes yes. to Muse. I was shocked as well. That's why I'm The enemy it out. can suck a dick. Uh, number four. Mm. Number, Fuck those guys. Number four, Rage Against the Machine, Killing in the Name. 
Number four. <laughs> Number four of all time. Of all time. Of all time. <laughs> and then that's in the top fucking fifty for sure. Like I'm gonna, I would even maybe go top thirty because I do think that that. Yeah, no, Tom Morello. Tom Morello is, cool. is one of the most influential Number guitar f- players. Number, Number four? four. Yeah. Of, oh, behind Muse, like what was the fucking? <laughs> we, what was the vote split on that? You know, like the. And then in some order, these are the top three. Which of these is number one on their list? Okay. Was it Guns N' Roses' Sweet Child of Mine, Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven, or Jimi Hendrix' All Along the Watchtower? Wait, these are in the top three? Those are the yeah, top what, three in which some is order. The number which one? is number one? Oh. I mean, it's you got to go with Hendrix. I mean, you... Also, think about the context because it's the enemy who are clearly fuckheads. Because that's why I pointed that out. Because obviously they're not that, they're not that smart. <laughs> they got Muse at number five, and then the top three is actually three incredible guitar solos. It can't be fucking Guns N' Roses. Wait, I'm sorry though. When was the list? This list, I, I want to say. I mean, it was obviously it was post Muse, but it, right. so it came out in the last ten years. Yeah. Knights of Sidonia is off the like second Muse record or something, whatever. Something yeah, like yeah, that, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I don't even know if it's their best guitar solo. No. That's a weird choice. I don't know if they should be on that list. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to go. I, I think it's, it's, it's either Zeppelin or Hendrix. Because if, it's, if Guns N' Roses gets it one. over those two, I'm then I'm... I'm Zeppelin, though. You're picking Zeppelin? Yeah. It's a bold choice. It's going to be Guns N' Roses. <laughs> you're, say, you're saying Guns N' Roses? No, I'm saying that it, it's... It doesn't matter. You're going to win. Well, yeah, I'm going to win well, at this yeah, point. I can so throw this one away, but I yeah, think... Yeah, throw it out. I think it should... It, it My... I well, would don't go... Say, don't say should. Say who you think is actually the number on one. The on the NMA list? On the NMA list. Yeah. Guns N' Roses. It is indeed Guns N' Roses. Enemy, <laughs> <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> that is a bag of wank list. Yeah. You cannot put Guns N' Roses ahead of I fucking know, I know, I know. Zeppelin and Hendrix. Uh, Stairway to Heaven, which, by the way, may finally be sued for their supposed uh, copyright infringement. Yeah, I know, and they uh, should. Yeah, I know about that, Josh. I know you, I I think know I you know about, about that. that, Josh. Okay, I know, and we argued about, about that, Josh. And we argued about it and what insane bullshit it is. Do you, you, Forty five years after the fucking spirit ridiculous yeah. well yeah i mean it is but at the same point you know i, I it's Wait. like when the when you know uh what was it the the men at work got busted for the kookaburra sits in the old gum tree bullshit oh, right. like the flute line 25 years after the song was a hit like yeah that's what i'm saying like when you wait that long well that lashes it's, it's actually incredibly lashes. smart no yeah, it's well, there's so much more money to collect. Right, there is so much more. That's money why. To that's collect. why. That's why you shouldn't be allowed to wait that long. It depends on the circumstances, though. I don't remember because I was I was actually writing on a different case about it, but it's gonna apply to the Led Zeppelin case. So I actually right. have to dig into it because I'm gonna write more about that one because I just don't remember like what the specific circumstances are that they were sitting around for that long waiting. But it's very interesting because in California they used to say that you're barred because you've been sitting on your rights and you knew you had them, and now they can't do that anymore. So yeah. I, yeah. I listened to that spirit track, and it kind of sounds like the chord progression of just the beginning of Stairway to Heaven. It's amazing that they'd be able to get all those royalties from it. Anyways. Yeah. We got They're about to get fucking paid. Yeah, yeah. It goes through, I yeah. I like that song, though. We got what, a, Stairway to Heaven? I do. I like Stairway to Heaven. <laughs> it's like, I mean... Guys, Stairway to Heaven, good song. Saying you, you like Stairway to Heaven is akin to saying, I'm kind of fond of Happy Birthday. No, it's not. Of course it is. Like, no, there's no not. way that you can't not like Stairway to Heaven. That you can't. 
Anyone who says that they nah. don't like Stairway to Heaven is just being though. no. They're just being argumentative. They're like those people who say, "Yeah, the Beatles weren't that great." Right. Whatever. Yeah. I don't love the Beatles, for example. I like the Beatles, but I don't think they're the most amazing thing ever. Yeah, but you admit that they're like a good band. Uh, sure. No, hold, <laughs> I don't hold love the your fucking. You don't have to love the Beatles. <laughs> but I don't love them in the way you think I would. I just don't. Well, I don't necessarily say, think that you have to love the Beatles, but you have right. you you cannot disagree with them being the most important band in the history of music. I guess. Well, no, I mean you can't, that's what I'm saying. Like, no, they are they, they are I the most. You can't disagree. actually say I, I will disagree. You can't. I will say wait, that. Jackie. Who's the most important band in the history of music? Shut up, Josh. I mean, I want to know. I want to know no, what the alternative I answer is. About that. No, I'm just saying to me personally. It's it's we're not talking about personal. That's yeah, like we are. It's stairway. That's why yeah. stairway to heaven to me is like a non-subjective thing. Like you can't actually say that stairway to heaven is not like. But I just said I liked it. Not everybody likes it. I mean, you but you you have to sort of you, you have to kind of like it. It's like not liking please please me. Like you just have to know that that's there's there's something about it you gotta like because it's the most it's one of the most important songs ever written. Yeah, so but guess, I'm not allowed to say that I like an important song. <laughs> no, you just got mad because I said I like it. You can't. I didn't get mad. I was just saying that you know, I, like it's. It's like you can't not like it. I think it's. Yeah, a, I think it's. Like possi- I don't like it, but I have to like it. I think it's possible like to acknowledge it. the importance of certain things without actually saying like it's my cup of tea. But I wasn't acknowledging the importance of it. I, I had to read. I, I had to read like, like I had to read like Homer's Odyssey in high school, and I remember thinking, obviously, this. But is did very you important. like it? I, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I remember thinking, hey, this is an important work of literature. I would never read this on my own. Yeah, it's but kind I'd of like, episodic. Okay, but I like Stay Where to Heaven. Yeah. I hated The Great Gatsby. Yeah, Great Gatsby was kind of like, like a soap Garbage. opera. Yeah. Garbage. I read it like five years ago because I knew I had to because I hadn't read it because I came over to America after you read that. Right. And I was like, oh, I should probably read this because everyone seems to think it's a... I'm, I'd rather watch Baz Luhrmann's movie. <laughs> I didn't see it. You didn't? Mm-mm. No, it's Sorry. Leo. Which is weird because I wrote about it. But yeah, no. I, I like Leo. You know? All right, guys... Thank you for doing this inside Lewis. More importantly, who, who won the quiz? Quick thing. Uh, I totally oh. forgot. It's probably yeah. it was me. <laughs> I don't remember it. I think those results will just be lost to history forever. Yeah. We gotta we gotta move on. I'm gonna listen to this podcast just to find out who won the guitar <laughs> quiz at the end. Christian, if anybody who's listening to this doesn't know who you are and wants to listen to you or find out stuff about you, what should they do? Where should they go? Um you could you know, like if you really want to find out stuff about me, I'll just hang out on my Facebook page for about ten minutes. You'll get a bunch of shit that'll piss you off. <laughs> you uh go. I have started my podcast and cool. Uh, I would thank um, uh, the Raw Dog. Josh definitely influenced my uh, decision to get mine finally going. What's yours about? Uh, it's basically I'm uh, I'm breaking the law because I think that the breaking law the needs law. to be broken. Uh, I'm playing music, and no. you're not supposed to. Don't tell me about that. So I'm playing uh, I'm playing music on my podcast, and I'm talking about it, and I'm trying to pay I'm trying to play as many indie artists that aren't signed to major labels, like. Uh, people that actually need the exposure uh, instead of, you know, like, hey, here's another song from Bush. <laughs> you know? Um, so it's called Man vs. Radio, and it's uh, it's about an hour. And, you know, it's... Uh, I, I don't... You know, it's like I play shit that I'm really passionate about, and then I do stuff that's, that you don't get to do on regular radio. Like, I'll play a song, and then I'll take pieces of that song and make you listen to them again, because there's really cool shit that you might have missed if you weren't listening to it. Mm-hmm. Um... And, uh, you know, I talk shit about my life. So. Cool. Cool. It sounds awesome, man. I've listened to the first episode. It's cool. Thank you. It's Although fun. you are giving more work to people like Jackie in the future. I am. Happen. I am. <laughs> so come gunning for me. Because I think that... I think. <laughs> I know where to find you. Well, you know, you my... My, easier. my <laughs> stance on it is that if... if that, you're, that everybody who's stopping people from, like me, from doing it 
are idiots. I have people have sent me screen grabs. I played a band called Strand of Oaks, and people have sent me screen grabs of them having purchased the album off of iTunes because they heard me play it. Mm -hmm. And no commercial radio is playing that. So that to me, any copyright owner or holder who wants to stop me from playing that song is a short-sighted retard. Because people like me are the future of broadcasting. People like Josh are the future of broadcasting. And if I've got five uh, people Jack, like people me, like Jack, you're okay, I'm also broadcast. on this I forgot, show. I forgot okay. that you're. I, for, I thought you were a guest just like me. I thought you were a guest just How like me. How dare you? This is I, also my podcast. When is your legal podcast? How do, I'm not going to do a legal podcast. It's so boring. You never know. I mean, you can it make it be, interesting. We should make a legal podcast. That's what I'm saying. <sighs> so nonetheless, people like us are. We are. I apologize. People like us are. You know, we are Thank the future. You. We're the future <laughs> of it. You know, I like agree. we are. We are. The and future. the thing that is missing right now is music. Everyone's doing podcast because they can't do it. They're being stopped from doing it. So you're just like, fuck it. Let's do it anyway. Just fuck it. Let's do it anyway. Come after me. It's moronic. Do you have a, do you have a Helvetica tattoo? Yeah, I do. I just noticed that for the first time. It's in Helvetica. I was going to get it in like sweet. Impact Bold and just be <laughs> just a douchebag. Just screw with people. But I decided that instead. <laughs> Wait, it, it, it comic says. Sorry, I'm neuroscience. I have Helvetica tattooed on me oh in God, Helvetica. Oh Helvetica. A yeah. tattoo that says Helvetica in Comic Sans. That was, that was just to be a dick. They hate Comic Sans. And then I decided that I I decided that I couldn't do that. Yes, thank you for pointing out that I'm just... Uh, being basic for saying that Comic Sans is dumb. I know. Well, I guess I was being basic for saying that I like Led Zeppelin starting to heaven, so... Yeah, that's okay. all right, man. We can be basic. This is just a basic show. <laughs> I, like, I like Helvetica. This was the basic bitch hour on Accept <laughs> <laughs> the Mystery. Jackie, where can people find you? People can find me in multiple places, I guess. You can find me on my Twitter. I don't tweet that many jokes sometimes, whatever, but I write stuff about legal stuff now, I guess. Yeah. I do that sometimes. Yeah, that's It's awesome. a weird place. My, my <laughs> Twitter is like... All facets of me, I guess. None fully developed. You could get the so. you could get the full Jackie. The full, I guess. Yeah. Speaking of the full Jackie, you can find me on Instagram at full.metal.jackie. At King Trut. So it's T R U T. Sweet. Yeah. <clears throat> Excellent. Well, guys, uh, you oh you can find me Where on Twitter. Can I find you. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Just you just find me on the street. Boom. Say hi. <laughs> yeah, just walk up. Uh, just find, you can find me on Twitter at Radio TFB. You can find me on Instagram at Radio TFB. You can find yeah, me on the on webs. At, yes. Because yeah. you're losing followers. Sorry. I, thank you. Did for, you notice that? I have noticed. What thank the you. fuck, you guys? <laughs> thank you, Josh used to have 15,000 followers as of last night. 13.7. Guys, what's going on? It's been a it's been a slow trickle. Did you, you know get, why? It's because you're not Instagramming enough. I don't did, think that's it. Did you lose 15? Did you lose in the the great Instagram uh, oh, wipeout of 2015? Did you? Uh, I didn't even hear about that. Oh, 2014? Yeah, I lost like five. That's, that's probably what happened. I'm sure that's what happened. I lost 500 drone followers in that thing. Wait, how many followers do you have? Uh, I got like five and a half thousand. What? You guys, yeah. everybody follow me more on Instagram. I only have like 200 followers. Oh, you guys, seriously, do it. Do yeah. it. Ugh. I mean, you know, it's uh, the other thing is that we, you know, I'm on the radio still every day and he was. on the, Right. You know, I understand why. I want to ride show. the coattails though, so share the love, people. Follow there me. There you go. Go. Get a, get, yeah. Let Jackie grab your coattails. <laughs> no, it's and, your coattails. So let, grab. Right. Jackie, grab my coattails. <laughs> let's take a ride. Ah, ridiculous. <laughs> um, okay, let's end this thing. Yeah. Guys, okay. this was such a pleasure. Thank so you for having me. Louis Davis. I love this. I love this goddamn movie. Yep. <laughs> um, and next time around, are, are we are we going to do our special episode finally? But we still have to watch Fargo. We do. That's true. We have like three episodes left, I guess. We have like three episodes of the show left, guys. So stay tuned. This is our, our uh, fourth to last episode, and we got more coming. So stay tuned. Until next time, peace and love. Peace and love.